Happy Monday, everyone. Happy last Kofefi break before the end of the year. You're watching Unsafe Space. I'm Carter, and I'm joined by Carrie. Notice how festive both of us are today. <laughs> I love it. I love your Santa outfit. This is That's the best the most... Santa hat ever, by the way. It's Thank knit. you, Sandykins. Yeah. Sandykins knit. knit it. You need uh, to move like one... two inches to your right so we can see you in the center of your screen. Like that? Or, uh, yeah, a little bit more. That was that was an improvement. Is that good? I'll give up there. Okay. You can do it a little bit more, but I'll give up. <laughs> uh, this hat was uh, crocheted, not knit, by my friend. Okay. Uh, yeah, I. It, it's really a very warm hat. I but that it doesn't top the Santa. It doesn't top the knitted Santa hat. <laughs> the knitted Santa hat's great. And yeah. also, just in general, I think this might be the most festive I've ever seen you because the red shirt and everything. Um, I think probably you can't. I don't know if you can tell. The tie even has like little sparklies in it. It's like I'm pretty festive. Yeah, this is pretty festive <laughs> for me. <laughs> Good. This is as festive as I get. So enjoy it now. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Well, welcome. Maybe after the revolution, time. when we're a free country again, I'll be then festive get, and I'll celebrate. No, uh, you're going to be festive on Wednesday. So if it's your first time here, this is a live show that we do Mondays and Fridays called Cafefe Break on Unsafe Space. We had book club yesterday. We do book club roughly once a month. And yesterday was awesome. If you haven't seen it yet and you read the book or even if you're just curious about the discussion, we read um, Robert Heinlein's The Moon is a Harsh Mistress and had at one point we had 20 people in the discussion is I think we broke a record with that one. So thank you for everyone who came. That was a really interesting, fun one. And yeah, it was this, great. I loved it. And great. I'm glad that you liked the book because yes. I was a little bit nervous about, <clears throat> I was the one oh, who pushed, I, I was advocated for that book a little bit. So, but I could tell why it was <clears throat> one of your favorites. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So we're also doing, you're so insightful, this... Carrie, you could tell why it was one of my favorites. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Thought. Yeah, this coming month, we're doing Cynical Theories by Helen Pluckrose and James yeah. Lindsay. So we're doing nonfiction. And that one's going to be on January 24th. If you want to find out more info, go to the book club page at unsafespace.com. Or if you're on Facebook, we have an Unsafe Space book club there, a group. And uh, James and Lindsay have – James and Lindsay. James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose, the authors, have both said that they will join us for some amount of time during book club. We're not, I'm not sure yet, maybe Q&A awesome. or something, but we'll figure it out. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah that'll be fun. Um, yeah. So if you guys want to get a head start on that, you've got a, a whole month, a little over a month to read that one. Um, and then what else? Oh, we are doing a special live Unsafe Space holiday extravaganza, yes. except I was told not to oversell it. So it's just <laughs> going to be like a lukewarm kind of We're just going to hang out on Zoom. Want to join? How's that? <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's going to be on Wednesday. And we'll have other people and maybe some guests. And what, what time is that? Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific is what I have on my calendar. Uh, so I think that's when it is, um, which is 6 p.m. Texas and 7 Eastern. So, okay. yeah. We're just, it's going to be kind of a casual. All the Unsafe Space team members will be there on Zoom. So it's not just me and Carrie. And we're just kind of kind of chill talk about some stuff. It's going to be probably a little bit more frivolous and light than normal. And uh, yeah, I don't even know what I don't. Yeah, who knows what it's going to be like. 
but thank you guys. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. So um, Carter's in a good mood today, he told me. I am in a good mood today. I still want you to move two inches to the right. Sorry. I can't I can't take seven eighths of a carry. Like that? That's bet yeah. That's much better. Thank you. Okay. All right. Let's just do a super chat while we're here though. Ryan says a general notice from the ATF is open for comments, objective factors for classifying weapons with stabilizing braces. Comment and let them know we will not have our legally owned property reclassified as NFA items. I'm confused. Are they proposing? I haven't been following this, so I apologize. I'm against, as I'm a bad gun owner. Are they proposing to classify rifles with stabilizing braces as NFA items? That's ridiculous. I mean, I have a Steyr Scout. It has a tripod built into it. Uh, my 300 Win Mag has a tripod on it. Like, like lots of weapons have like stability built into them. Can you tell me what that means, classifying something as an NFA weapon? Well, like uh, machine guns, where you need an NFA oh. license, oh. or you would have to pay, you'd have to pay a $200 wow. fee to get it like, and maybe they'll, yeah. maybe there'd be a different category, but you'd have to pay them and be registered specially and blah, blah, blah. No, I didn't know that either. Uh, yeah. Thanks for bringing this down right off the bat, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a good mood, Ryan. Uh... No, it's good to know, and maybe Beverly can find a link and stick it in chat if people want to comment uh, to the ATF. We won't tell you okay. what to say, but... You can say what you want to say. You know what to say. Yeah, I'm in a good mood, Carrie. Uh, good. I, this, my, my sign behind me actually doesn't mean anything today, really. I watched Die Hard over the weekend, and I couldn't write yippee Kaye because I didn't have wise. So I just wrote yippee. <laughs> And that's the end. There's no deep meaning to my sign today. Uh, my favorite Christmas movie has been watched this season, so it's a success. Good. My daughter the entire time was going, why is this a Christmas movie? And I was Sorry. really trying to explain to her why it was a Christmas movie. Um, it's, a, it's a Christmas movie like The Long Kiss Goodnight is a Christmas movie, meaning <laughs> they're not. They just take place during Christmas, and then people watch them at that time. Yeah. I think it's become a cult thing to do. <laughs> not a bad way. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure what you wanted to talk about today, but mm, I, I definitely wanted to hit on the attacks on gifted and talented programs and AP oh, classes. Oh, sure. Yeah, we can talk about it. I mean, I, I, I have a few things, but I don't have like something I'm dying to talk about. So I just sent uh, you a tweet. Uh, I'll send right. you. There's a couple that I wanted to look at. But, um, you know, this isn't a new thing. If you guys are new to our channel, we actually, over a year or so ago, we covered this in the New York City um, school system, how they were penalizing gifted kids. And we've, we've covered this before. A lot of SJW um, I ideology, when it makes it into policy, it functions to punish excellence or the gifted and talented or anyone who's ex is exceptional in some way or people who work their butts off to be, you know, I mean, it's, it's an inevitable outcome of an ideology that believes equality needs to be, or sorry, uh, equality is the outcome. Like the equality of the outcome is the goal. Like any ideology that seeks to eliminate differences between humans and outcome must necessarily reduce everyone at the end of the day to the worst performing human, which is why they right. do end in mass graves where we're all equally dead. Yeah, it's it's not hyperbole to make the comparison to 
this ideology when it's taken other forms throughout history. And it does end up with what you're saying. It does end up with mass graves because how, how, how far down will you pursue this if you're in it um, hardcore? And I think, I think the answer is there's no bottom to it. So this isn't new that they're attacking gifted and talented programs and uh, AP classes and gifted students. It's just that I haven't seen it so explicit before. Like a lot of things they are now becoming more explicit about some of the things they used to hide. So, for example, yeah. in the past, since June, we've seen them become a little more, I would say, explicit about their Marxist origins of this belief system. They used to try yeah. and hide that. Um, they've outright, for for example, we talked about how they used to say, hey, when we say toxic masculinity, we're just attacking a specific kind of masculinity. We're not attacking all of masculinity. Right. Well, now, gloves off, they're pretty... They're, openly attacking masculinity itself. Um, so things like that, they're just getting a little more open about it, which I think shows a comfortableness there. They feel like the belief system has um, become mainlined, <laughs> mainstream to such a degree that they can be more open and push push it a little further in terms of, yeah, hey, this is what it's about. So before we go on to the, I just want to make a comment on that. Uh, this is why it's important to understand the fundamental principles behind belief systems, because even a lot of the adherents of a belief system don't understand the fundamental principles. So they'll push something and they might very sincerely say, well, we don't mean all men. We just mean toxic masculinity, not all men. Yeah. That's, they really don't believe it, many of the people pushing it. But the, the, I, I the principles behind it um, necessarily leads to that extension. And when you have a foundation of evil principles, there is no end to how they eventually get implemented, which is why you need to be able to identify things on principle and stop early. And many people, I think because they're well-meaning people, think, well, they're not going to go that far. They just want to do this little bit of a thing yeah. and that little bit of a thing. I get that it's unprincipled or that it's against some principle that is is good, but you know, it's for this greater good or it's okay or it's just a little or we need to compromise or whatever. And once you've started to do that and accept that, you got to understand you've let in an evil cancer, which is a really bad belief system. And those people that sincerely didn't mean all men, well, they'll be pushed to the side for the people who are willing to say, yep, it's all men. Yeah, uh, all and men. they'll be pushed aside for the people to say like, yes, it's all these other kind of people. And eventually everyone gets to push aside until you get the massive thug who's willing to dig the mass graves. Who's willing to, yeah, to just be open about it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you're right. A lot of people, because they are in it, you know, I was in social justice with good intent. I thought it was a good thing. And I do believe a lot of people are in it with good intent. And so it's hard for them to understand what you mean when you're talking about the belief system itself having a bad intent or bad uh, inevitable outcome, like a conclusion. Where does this belief system go? It's to a very bad place. But they can't. I think it's hard for them to see that because they're like, but I, it's a good thing. I'm in it because, you know, I'm a good person. <laughs> I'm in right. it because I trying to end right. racism and sexism and they like you said a lot of them haven't even haven't even looked closely at all the tenets of the belief system and a lot of them don't know they don't have the context to even they don't know about marxism well and i think they, their ability to think critically from principles and and find contradictions in principles and care about eradicating them uh has been completely usurped and undermined by their public education so they're they're the idea that there should that that principles matter and that they should be consistent is just lost on them. It's just 
to them, to them, principled thinking and and ideas and philosophy is this jumbled soup of random aphorisms that they've absorbed and like, yeah. well, you apply this one here and that one there, and blah, 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 and I don't know, yeah. whatever feels good. And like, they have zero philosophy skills. No, uh, that's right. They just spit out the same things over and over, even if right. they don't, and, and they reveal sometimes they don't even understand what those things mean. Like one of the most common that I see them used incorrectly, and I just saw it this morning, someone was attacking Alex from book club online and they accused her of gaslighting them and they didn't use, they never, almost never use gaslighting correctly. Do you think Uh, they're they're doing that intentionally or they just don't know what it means? (laughs) (laughs) No, they don't know what it means. They're just repeating the phrases they've heard. They think gaslighting is appropriate to accuse you of if you disagree with them. (laughs) Are you disagreeing? (laughs) That's gaslighting. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Disagreeing with the leftist is gaslighting. Right. Also, facts. Okay. Facts that contradict my opinion are gaslighting. Are gaslighting. It's all <laughs> yeah. gaslighting, guys. Um, they also accused her of tone policing. They pulled out the greatest hits. Um, Ooh, tone policing is my. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. So let's pull up this first tweet. This yeah. is something James Lindsay, who we just mentioned, we're going to be doing his and yeah. uh, Helen Pluckers' book next month. He was highlighting this and. Like I said, this is the first time I've seen it so explicit. Look at Ida Bay Wells. She says, gifted programs should be eliminated. I mean, there it's just out out the open. I mean, I appreciate the honesty. I do. Yeah, I no, me too. The honesty to when they lie about what they're trying to do. Yeah, they don't. They don't. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So she says it, it should be eliminated. Obviously, James Lindsay is going to say something brilliant after this. Let's see. The easiest way to achieve equity is everybody gets nothing, except the members of the party who administrate equity. The technical name for this organizational approach is Sovietism. <laughs> sure. Right. It, this is yeah. how... Um, so... Yeah. It's actually not even had... just everyone gets nothing. It's like, we take away stuff until everyone has the e- equal amounts of nothing. But yes. Equal amounts of nothing, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is not a super chat, but I just wanted to highlight this. Mm-hmm. In the chat, Rodrigo Seraphim says, Harrison Bergeron makes SJWs go, hmm, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, totally. <laughs> By the way, I know we have new people. If you haven't read Harrison Bergeron, it's, what, like a 10-minute read? It's super short. It's, it's a super that. short story. Yeah. And I tweeted the link to it. It's online. You can read it for free. It's a short story by Kurt Vonnegut, and it is just very appropriate for – the, this uh, attack that we're now seeing on gifted and talented programs for kids. Um, the the other thing that I saw almost simultaneously with this was the link. I just sent you the link by... Yeah, the other one? By Colin? Yeah, Colin. You know, I want to say something about Colin. I really like Colin, and I and he was on our show like a long time ago talking about bugs and genetics, and it was great. Uh and I wish that he was more popular. I kind of wanted Colin to rise to the James Lindsay status and because he has really great arguments uh, about this gender crap. Uh, and he's really great. So if you don't follow Colin, swipe right on Twitter, uh, W-R-I-G-H-T, follow Colin. All right. So what does he say, Carrie? Do you want to read it? No, you go ahead. Oh, <clears throat> okay. Uh The Dalton School of Manhattan is having a race meltdown. It's absolutely insane. Teachers are holding the school for ransom with demands, but they're so extreme, the school will crumble if they give in, but they'll crumble if they don't, too. Here are some of the demands. Okay, let's let's look at this. Wow. 
<clears throat> the hiring of 12 full-time diversity <laughs> officers. Do they need one for each month? What? Yeah. 12 now, by the way, I just want to cut in here. This is how <laughs> they take over and ultimately destroy organizations, schools, city councils. Um, in my small town, I'm in a social justice group to kind of see what they're up, up to <laughs> in my town. <laughs> and there's one of the city council members who's openly, explicitly super social justice. And that's what she wastes the council time on. Um, and, she, you know, even forcing them to watch social justice videos during c council meetings. <laughs> um, but I've seen her. At least they're not passing laws. Yeah. Well, she's trying. And here's what's interesting. In the group I'm in, they openly discuss tactics and they coordinate and they coordinate letter writing campaigns and all kinds of stuff. One of the things they've done is they've discussed they would like to have our little town form a committee, a committee, <laughs> a committee on diversity, inclusion and equity on die. And she's openly said, well, the first step to do that would be uh, it would be easier if we can get um, get the council to bring in a diversity, inclusion and, and equity expert. We need to bring in one of these educators. Right who comes, you know, a trainer to come in and then have the trainer recommend a committee. <laughs> this is all, they, they plan this crap out. So do you know how the Dalton got to this place? I don't, but I don't need to. I can guess. They brought in some diversity, inclusion, equity expert. They formed a committee. What does the expert say or what does the committee say? What are these people always going to say that you need more of us? <laughs> Please make checks payable to Grift LLC. Yeah, bring it. Now we need twelve of us. <laughs> yes. Twelve of oh, us. Oh, I just time. so happened to have this training program you could purchase for five hundred thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah, I just so happened to have a lot of friends who've also had these B BS. <laughs> yes. I have other out of work SJWs you could hire. Yeah, certificates and crap to come in <laughs> and cannibalize your school or your organization or city council and destroy it from the inside. <laughs> By the way, good for society to be – it's good for – like, seriously, here's a positive note. We are so successful that this is like a thing we can pay for. I mean, we shouldn't, but we have so much excess wealth that all these people are just like – these leeches can like live for years doing this yeah. and business goes on as normal. Um, that's amazingly successful. It won't last yeah. forever, but wow. Yeah, they'll okay. drain it. They'll drain it dry eventually. But these bloodsuckers will. Yeah. Yeah. They can feast right. for a while. Yeah. All right. Let's. Uh, so let's go back to the thing. So the first one, hiring the twelve full-time diversity officers of Christmas. Um, two, an additional full-time employee. Oh, so thirteen. A baker's doesn't. Thirteen. <laughs> uh, an initial full-time employee whose entire role is to support black students who come forward with complaints. Like, pick them up and hold them over their head? I'm supporting you. Uh, hiring of multiple psychologists with, quote, specialization on the psychological issues affecting ethnic minority populations. Mm-hmm. Very good. Payoff. Uh, by the way, are there any teachers in this list? We'll, we'll see. We'll get you. <laughs> Payoff student debt of incoming black faculty. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's the teachers. Yeah. Well, Payoff but not. Payoff student debt. And how are we determining how to do this? By race. Isn't that racist? What counts as black? No. 
oh, we've redefined racism, guys. We've redefined racism. It's not racist to discriminate on the basis of race if you're an SJW because they've redefined racism. Isn't that handy? Reroute 50% of all donations to New York City public schools. I don't understand what that means. Like, to where? To die shit? I don't know what that Probably. is. Elimination of AP courses if black students don't score as high as whites. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, this, is, this, is, this is offensive. I mean, first of all, this is discrimination against gifted and talented kids. And including it, and black kids, hurt, by the way. Including black kids. That's the point. This is offensive and racist towards black students. It's like... What, you know what about the what about the black kids who do score high enough? So if on average they're not scoring exactly the same as white kids on average, or as God forbid Asian kids on average, well then, what's going to happen to all those gifted and talented kids who are in these uh, quote unquote underserved communities? You're kicking them out. You're destroying the things that have lifted them out. Since I I posted this a couple of days ago, I've heard from lots of friends who credit gifted and talented programs in schools with being in some ways life-saving for them and changing Absolutely. their lives. And a lot of those people are not white. Absolutely. And they don't yeah. care because at the end of the day, they'd rather destroy all excellence. They don't want, well, they don't want black, any black children doing better than the average. <laughs> I don't like, want to paint with an overly broad brush, but they do generally hate achievement. I mean, they, they have a hatred of achievement generally at, at their core it's part of the envy of marxism i mean it's it's part of the core of of their emotional relationship with reality is to hate achievement so um I, it makes perfect sense that this kind of stuff is a target and i know you've had experience with um gifted and talented programs but i'll just speak from from my own experience without you know dragging you into it but i remember when they started a gifted and talented program at my school when i was in elementary school there was two of us that were in the program and it, for like a year, like two, two, one or two years, it was just two of us. And it was great. Uh, we got a lot of attention. We got to do things that like were, there was no way we'd get to do at school. I mean, we, we got into programming and electronics and did all this stuff that, you know, in the 80s was just not done in elementary schools. Um, yeah. And it really helped us. And then uh, a bunch of parents complained that their kids weren't in it. And so they lowered the standards. And, like, the next year, it was, like, 30 kids were in the gifted and talented program. And by the time I got to, like, high school, it was like, well, there's some AP classes, but there wasn't anything. So, like, it just ceased watered to help down. the kids that were there. It got watered down. And the other effect that it has is if, uh, if the standard – what will happen – so they will lower the standards for AP testing. They'll try and – change the test there will be pressure on ap to change the test if there hasn't been already there's definitely there'll definitely be pressure already here we're seeing it on changing the classes it will start making ap courses mean less because if there's not objective standards about attainment then the fact that you're in an ap class means less and you don't learn as much and so they, we, you're less prepared for college like yeah it unravels the whole thing it unravels the entire meritocracy um, totally. And we've already seen that with the SAT where they've lowered standards yeah. on. So if you take a score today, it doesn't mean the same thing as a score from 95 <laughs> right. or yeah, right. it, uh, my experience with gifted and talented was, uh, I, well, I, w I was in something called project climb, which did the same thing. And it took kids from different schools in the school district and brought us all together. 
And I looked that up recently to find out if it was still happening. And it was, it's been changed from what I can tell. They, it looks like they eliminated it or they changed it to be, um, to serve kids who are, uh, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the word Carter, uh, not, not on the upper end of the scale, but on the like lower low end. socioeconomic status or no, or... no, no. Just kids who are underachieving, underachieving is the right word. Oh, instead so like of... underachieving kids, they basically bell curve right. everything. They basically said, instead of serving over achieving kids, we're going to change this into something for under, and, and you should oh, serve both. You should serve both. You should have programs specifically for underachieving kids, but also programs for overachieving kids. You can't stunt their growth because of some kind of deep-seated resentment or uh, upset feelings that they're that not everyone scores exactly the same on tests or has the same talents. Everybody has different talents, and this won't stop. By the way, this is of course this is not going to stop with uh, AP classes and you know thing. It's not. No, it's it's going to extend into the arts as well. You will see them going after programs for people who have musical talent. You, I mean, they, they are not going to, it's not going to just be, um, uh, oh, these smart kids are making other people, other kids feel bad or look bad. Therefore, let's get rid of these classes. They're going to go after, oh, these kids have too much musical talent. It'll be just like Harrison Bergeron. Absolutely. Sports clubs, they'll do the same thing, you know? So absolutely, I don't know, it, be. Really bothers, yeah. it really bothers me. And I also went to, I heard from someone this week because when I did the trigonometry interview, I guess I'd mentioned that I went to a science and math high school. And I actually went to the South Carolina Governor School of Science and Math. It's a residential school for 11th and 12th grade. But someone reached out to me from the North Carolina School for Science and Math. They thought they thought that might have been where I went. And we were talking about it online. And she's much younger than me. She graduated recently from there. And she said it's thoroughly, entirely woke. Of course and it is. I don't doubt that my old school is that way now, too. I Just from some of the stuff I've seen in the alumni board decisions yeah. they've made for online stuff I, I and and during the black lives matter the the sjw revolution in june you know statements they wanted to make i'm like mm, i can't be sure that that school is still offering the same um level of education that it offered when i was there i doubt it is because of once wokeness moves in, yeah once wokeness moves in wokeness becomes a priority well and, and it can't be look as soon as they as soon as they focus on a, any kind of race-based outcome, by definition, they can't be the meritocracy that they were before. They've changed the standards. Like, they're, they're, it's, you don't even have to, yeah. like, wonder if the ha effect has happened. It has. It has. Yeah. It has. It, it has. has to. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's look, you know where I stand on this. South Carolina, like, see, South Carolina has one of the lowest, um, it's one of the lowest rated states in terms of, public education oh really worse and, than california i thought we well were bad. at least tw 20 something years ago when i went we okay. were i mean we were like number 50 at one one time I don't know, oh wow pretty bad oh, congrats <laughs> so uh we used to joke that uh south carolina was the state uh most likely to secede not <laughs> succeed <laughs> <laughs> maybe they'll just be a spelling error and they'll mistakenly secede right but you know for people who are in a state, that's, that's the reason the governor's school came to be was they were trying to provide a place for gifted and talented students to get uh, uh, like a really uh, challenging education. It was challenging and it did change my life. And 
to think that that is now polluted or watered down or that or even maybe, you know, if culturally, if we're moving to this place of getting rid of gifted and talented programs, I mean, what's the future for a school like that? You know, yeah. so come I mean, up resources for all those. Yeah, I, I just I, I do think it's worth mentioning for those, who you know, I know people are someone in chat just said solutions. Look, you know where I stand on this stuff. Public school needs to be eliminated. Uh, schools are schools should be businesses that offer more value to you than they cost you. Like that's how businesses work. You you buy an iPhone because it's worth more than the money that you pay for it. And if you didn't think that, you wouldn't buy an iPhone. Uh, and there's no reason a school needs to have gifted programs if that school isn't serving people who are looking for gifted programs. There's no reason a school has to have special needs programs unless it's a school serving people with special needs. There can be schools for various things. There can be schools for kids that are, are gifted. There's no – the idea that education – I know people think like, oh, education is very necessary, so we have to figure out a way to gov for the government to do it. The fact that the government does it destroys the purpose of the education itself. You can't have the government educate um, this is how you get this. This is how you get a bunch of uh, vote zombies willing to go along with whatever the hell the government's doing. I mean, you subsidize it. They've did, if you care about an industry, you stay. You keep the government out of it. If you want the best to happen in an industry, you keep the government out of it. Governments getting involved in industries upset the market. The government, the federal government, did not always provide or state governments did not always provide education. Um, and you can just look at universities to see the, the government grants and, and government-backed loans uh, and, and, frankly, government mandates have increased the cost of universities like ridiculously, ridiculously. When my dad went to college, he could work at a fruit stand in the summer and make all the money he needed to live and pay tuition for the rest of the year. That's unheard of now, and he didn't go to a bad school. So, you know, this the idea that the idea that the government needs to be involved and we have to come up with some solution, I, you need to let go of that idea, people who are trying to fix this. Let go. Let the private sector take over. Let the private sector take over. This is an example of something that you have, you've helped to move my opinion on in the past couple of years, because I used to think of schooling, of course, it's Education, hard to get over course. that because people are used to it being a thing. Uh, yeah, I just thought of it as, of course, the government is in charge of education. And it it has taken a long time to even shift to where I'm at right now. I don't completely agree with you, but I, I'm more than 90% do, I think, now. Well, here's a way you can – here's a way you can get there. Just and, – and this is why I, I can just make an argument directionally. Just start moving it to more local. Get the federal government out, out of it. Once they're out of it, then get the state government out of it. Once they're out of it, get local governments. Like, work your way down, and you will find that every time you eliminate one of those actors, things get better. Things get better. Um, like, you don't – and this idea that everyone – like, what are they learning in college right, or in, in school right now? The idea that, you know, we are releasing – Here's my argument for how public education has failed. We are releasing 18-year-olds 
into the workforce that aren't worth minimum wage. Like, we are arguing that we have to increase minimum, minimum wage because after 12 years of government schooling, they're not worth current minimum wage. They can't get jobs. That's, and the argument is we have to increase minimum wage. The problem is not minimum wage. The problem is that we can't produce people that are worth minimum wage. Their time isn't worth it. That's pathetic. Look 100 years ago. You've said this before. Look at the, the people who dropped out of school in sixth grade or eighth grade and, and fought in the Civil War and they wrote you know, letters back to their loved ones. Look at their language. Look at their ability to write. I mean, they had, a, they had a command on vocabulary that we do not have today. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I think Thomas St. Thomas mentioned the other day, and maybe it was yesterday, uh, <clears throat> uh, Frederick Douglass, right? The guy, the guy was raised as a slave. He was beaten, like, and yet his command of the English, I mean, go read some of his speeches. His command of the English language is breathtaking. He, he's a master of the English language. He didn't, this, this didn't happen through going through public school. Public school, we have people, like, they can't pick out where America is on the globe. I mean, our public school system is, I, I don't know any other word than complete joke or complete failure. I mean, it's there, there's no way around it. So the idea that, like, we need to, to funnel are... more money into it is absolutely stupid. And the only reason that anyone thinks that is because they went to public school. But there are very good, there are some very good teachers in public schools who are trying to, you know, plug the hole in the ship, so, so to speak. Of course there's some, but I think the number of yeah. very good teachers in public schools is very small. I had some. That was, I won't say how many years ago. Because <laughs> I'm a lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're a lady. I'm not going to say how many years ago that might have been. But all right, so wait, do you, you want to read, read more of these things? Sorry, we got... Yeah, I do. Okay, I just distracted. got okay. the AP thing. Getting rid of AP classes just really burns my biscuits. Yep. All right. The next thing after after burning Carrie's biscuits, uh, required courses on black liberation. Okay. Is that like black liberation theology? Is black liberation like uh, like something more than freedom? Is it like... Ask them what Separatism? black people need to be liberated from, and they don't yeah. have an answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure, they don't. I'm just wondering if you know what they mean by that. I don't know. Oh, yeah, it, it comes from black liberation theory. I mean, it just it, it's like critical race theory. They may as well put critical race theory there. Okay. Reduced tuition for black students whose photographs appear in school promotional materials. <laughs> so they want to tax your virtue signaling now. Hey, you need to virtue signal. Oh, you're going to virtue signal with these kids? They need to be paid. And again, look at that. It's race-based. What about the white students who appear in your promotional materials? <laughs> right. What if it's a they poor white student? What if it's They a should poor charge Asian? the Asians just for going to school. Yeah, I mean, this is so racist. And again, like you said, what about if you're mixed? How do they determine if you're black? Or what if you're a quarter black? What do you, you know, all these, all these, these are all racist policies. And they don't lead anywhere good. Right. Uh, all right, Re uh, so we said that. Public anti-racism statements required. Oh, so this is interesting. Public anti-racism statements required from all employees. This is your oath. Like? This is your oath. 
to the Borg. You need to show that you are a card-carrying member of the uh, (laughs) whatever party this is, the anti-racist Marxist party um, by any other name, right? So, yeah. Okay, that's great. This is this, but this is clearly, clearly uh, an ideological requirement, right? It's like it's like an ode to communism. Yeah, absolutely. It's what it is. Mandatory community and diversity days to be held throughout the year. Yes, because that will help people do better. Required anti-bias training to be conducted every year for all staff and parent volunteers. So indoctrination, more more indoctrination. indoctrination. Mandatory minority representation in in otherwise elective student leadership roles. Wow. So you can have some democracy, but not if you vote for the wrong people. Uh, if If you don't have the... If your democracy outcome doesn't give us the representation that we want, we'll just appoint people. Mandatory diversity plot lines wait, wait, in school places. Wait, okay. before you move on, mandatory minority representation and otherwise elective student leadership roles. So how would they even do that? Is it, is it like, okay, we're going to elect a student body president and vice president, et cetera. And, oh, look, there weren't enough black people elected so we're gonna overthrow whoever was elected and appoint someone is that the way that works i think so okay yeah um yeah mandatory diversity plot lines in school plays this is just indoctrination needs to be nice and thorough uh overhaul of entire education entire curriculum to reflect diversity narratives so again what i i like about this carrie i do like their honesty they don't want the curriculum to reflect facts. They want it to reflect the story that they're trying to well, push out, which is called now, the diversity narrative. Now, just so you're narrative. clear, this is somebody else's summary of what's in there. Oh, the okay. list itself is very long. We could read through, but this is a summary of someone from someone who's criticizing it. So narratives may be their choice of word. Maybe there. Okay, fair but, enough. Fair enough. But uh, someone, someone in chat's asking where this is from. This is from Colin Wright's Twitter. We put all the uh, links after the show in the show notes. So you, you can always go go back and look. And I am going to go into the unsafe space Twitter right now and retweet it. So you can find it right at the top. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, that was, uh, that was lovely. I'm going to do a couple super chats while we're waiting. Um, Mandy, Mandy, our favorite Russian bot says, if Carter and Kerry had a happiness graph, it would look a lot like Biden's overnight vote jump and flatline chart. <laughs> 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 oh, because when somebody brought you mood down. I know. Because we started in such a happy mood. <clears throat> Isn't there, there's like <laughs> a, is that a sign of bipolar disorder or borderline or something where you like swing back and forth? I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> Some disorder. Okay. Uh, let's scroll a little bit, get past the Russian bot and move to the next super okay. chat. <laughs> Oh, I am very behind on Super Chats. Look at that. Sorry. Here we go. G-Man. G-Man gives us a Super Chat and says, Listening to conversations about the evils of our society between Mr. and Mrs. Claus makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, well, don't get on my naughty list, Buster. You sit there and be uncomfortable. Um, Cheeky Mare, Cheeky Mare, who was in book club yesterday. Says, hey, Cheeky Mare. Uh, yes, let's eliminate the idea that high achieving is a good thing. In video gaming, try hard is an insult. 
it will be easier for China to take over. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, can, we can be handing out participation trophies, uh, which are made in China. And that will, be, <laughs> that will be our future. You know, this morning, uh, speaking about made in China, I just had this thought. It's, it's so sad. Um, I, was, I was working out and I had um, just like standard dumbbells, you know, that like hexagonal steel or iron, whatever they are, right? It's probably iron coated in zinc or something, dumbbells. Um, and I looked at one of them and it had a sticker on it that said made in China. And I thought to myself, and they were like, they were 70 pounds. So it's 140 pounds total of these dumbbells that came on a ship from China. And I thought to myself, do we not have like some heavy rocks in the U S we could have (laughs) shaped into dumbbells and sold? No, no, we don't. Apparently we have to ship 140 pounds of dumbbells from China to the U.S. so that I can have dumbbells. That is, I, I just, to me, for some reason, I was like, we're screwed. Like, we are screwed. That's what we're doing? Like, yeah. we, we can't mine our own metal and forge it into some dumbbells? <sighs> All right. It's a very Tax- heavy uh, thing to ship over. Yeah, okay. no, I was just thinking about the shipping cost. Can you imagine the shipping cost? All right. I've got Taxterra. Hello, Taxterra. Thank you for the super chat. She says, my elementary GT experience was similar. There were about 15 of us across the district who met twice a week. It was ended because parents complained that their child wasn't, quote, gifted. Right. Yeah. By the way, when when that happened, the two of us who had been in the gifted program beforehand – I remember specifically sitting in the back of the class being bored playing on our computers because they had the school had like a bank of Apple II's and we were like playing on the computers. But the person now teaching the gifted and talented class, because it wasn't the same lady, I guess she must have gotten pissed and left when they when they expanded it. Uh, The teacher didn't realize that you could have the monitor off and still have the computer on. So we would like have programming contests where like how much could we program without looking uh, and make not many errors, and then like quickly turn the monitor on and, and look and turn it back off. Uh, but we were bored for the rest of the for the rest of that program for the most of my elementary school program. We were bored, and we were bored because exactly what she's saying. All the other parents were like, "My kid needs to be in it." Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it participation trophies. Yeah. Uh, All right, Pyro Tomsky, you want to do him? says one issue I have with teachers is that they spend their entire life in public education. And don't understand the basics of how businesses actually work. Um, yeah, maybe on average. I do know that's not, I mean, obviously that's not true for all teachers. Um, but, but, yeah. Well, this is, a, this is a related to you a problem. You could say I... the same thing about, uh, about politicians. If they don't. Oh, you should. If they're the type of politician who's never owned a business. <laughs> you should say the same thing about politicians. This is the general problem that I have with, uh, Free market capitalist economics professors. <clears throat> Not that we shouldn't have them. We absolutely should. But there's like this whole – and actually you see this in – I'm specifically thinking of an objectivist conference once where I think people were not happy with what I said because I was – I said this to a room full of intellectuals with university jobs. They, they, they argue for the free market all day long. Uh, and they they argue that oh we should have the free market we should have the free market, but they don't they're not in the free market. 
You have no idea what it's like to be in the free market. You got some stupid, cushy job paid for mostly by taxpayers and government-funded grants and and loans from the government for your students. That, like, grow up. Get the hell out. If you want to make a difference and argue for for, I, I think people like you know. I know people like Peter Schiff do a much better job educating people on economics than university professors. <laughs> like, he's out talking about it, doing his own thing. He runs a business. Uh, and I feel the same way about teachers. Like, they don't – of course they don't know how to run a business. They have – their lives have nothing to do. It's They're completely disconnected from any realities of a business life. If they were a teacher at a private school, they would have to please the parents. And Carter was never invited back to that conference again. That might have been true. <laughs> I'm not sure. I might have, that might be true. Uh, but yeah, I just it, the the whole what I don't like about the the teacher thing is I know there are some good teachers, and I'm not you know I'm not saying there are no good teachers. What I don't like is this general feeling that seems to permeate society that poor teachers are underpaid and they're the heroes. And like screw that. Teachers are the indoctrinators. Most teachers suck, and they're the problem. They're the ones destroying I, your ca- children. Caveat. Again, I had some really great teachers. I was talking now. In that way. Now. Okay. Now. Okay. And I think it's gotten worse as as schools. I mean, look, I'm sure the very first government-funded schoolhouse was the best one. And then things got worse. So they're just I also had worse. some really crappy teachers, too, though. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Well, we all have. At my little small school before I went to the science and math school. My 10th grade geometry teacher was also the football coach. And he, he would oftentimes get stuck doing problems on the overhead projector. And I and other people in the class would have to help him finish them. And then he would leave. uh, This is not a joke. Our, our geometry tests were multiple choice. And then if that's not enough of a help, he would, he would give us practice tests on Thursdays. And the real test would be on Friday, and it would be the same test. So all you had to do is memorize the answers. But as if that wasn't enough to help people, he would leave the answer key on his desk during the test and leave the room, oh my God. knowing knowing that some of the football players were going up there and copying it down. <sighs> that was one of my bad teachers. But yeah, you think? Very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, the yeah. same way you, you were unpopular at that conference. I was in, that might have been ninth grade. Were you the kid that was like, excuse me? No, I wrote a letter to our little town paper about him. I was so angry. No, but my parents, I I can't remember if they let me send it or not. I think they were very worried because it would be super unpopular because football was big in our town. And he was sort of a hero. I was like, but I really did not like what was happening in that class. And and yeah, it was a waste of my time. Anyway. Okay. All right, Jason M. I've you want to do Jason, Jason M's? Hi, Jason. I haven't heard from you in a bit. Uh, I'm surprised that he says, I'm surprised that Dalton didn't require live camera feeds in staff homes, 1984 style, so they can be monitored at all time for any unwoke thoughts. <laughs> yeah, right? well, that's the next step. That'll be the yep. social credit score. If you haven't read about China's social credit score um, system, it is not a myth. It is not a dystopian fantasy novel. It is real. It is being rolled out, and it will be here. It will be here. Do not think that you are going to be immune from something like the social credit system used in China. Go read about it. Maybe we'll do a story about it someday. 
B. Allen. Thank you, B. Allen. Now, this one's for me, Carter. B. Allen <laughs> gives us $5 super chat and says, for some Christmas treats for Tiger. Nice. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, let's see. Allison S. Hi, Allison. Allison says, I wonder if that's the same Allison that's in book club. I was just going to say, I think it might be the book club Allison S., but I'm not sure. <laughs> She says, administration is the root of evil in public schools. Yes, there are bad and foolish teachers, but good ones are often powerless to override bad admins. That, thank you. That's exactly what you've articulated something that was I couldn't really I couldn't really figure out how to say. I think there are a lot of good teachers and there are also a lot of bad ones, but they are good teachers, but their hands are somewhat tied. They're trying yeah, to plug the inevitable. whole shit. Yeah, because the you've got all this this bloated bureaucracy of administrators and you know, look at the Dalton School and 12 more, 13, bring in 13 diversity officers to, you know, hamstring the teachers. Like, Yeah, I mean, but that that's an inevitable consequence of having the government run things. Like, of course, they're, of course, and bureaucracies always grow. So, like, it's a you can't separate public school teachers from public school bureaucracies because they go hand in hand. Teachers necessarily don't need public school bureaucracies, but they don't. But public school teachers do need public school bureaucracies because they the whole they're. they're they're intertwined as part of the system. They've got public, they've got teachers unions, right? Like <laughs> the, the public school teachers are not innocent in terms of their like involvement in this, in this problem. Yes. I get that there are some of them that are good, but it's not like they're a bunch of, you know, great free market teachers just being held back by these great administrators or these crappy administrators. Like they're, I, they're part of the, they're part of the swamp. I mean, look at look at what they look at the teacher that just yelled about COVID in Southern was it Southern California or that that video of the teacher screaming along with I'm an effing teacher blah, 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 oh, yelling yeah. at people like that like look at what the teachers unions do and you can say well that's not the teachers and it's like okay but it is it is the teachers it that is video the of that teacher in the car screen was terrible Do, I I rewatched it so I could figure out everything she was yelling did you see the first thing she yelled was kill yourself. Yeah. at someone mm -hmm. kill yourself i'm Probably a student. teacher uh okay tatiana hi tatiana she gives us a super chat and says i gotta go but i just want to say hi to badass santa and his cute russian bot elf merry christmas <laughs> merry christmas we we spiced it up we're gonna spice it up on wednesday i expect you to be this amount of festive or more Carter. Well, I can't be. I don't think it's possible for me to be more festive than this on Wednesday. But I will, I'll try and be this amount of festive. Although on Wednesday I have to tell the myth of the robber baron. I've already been. Uh, the people in our our Discord, our company Discord, not the general Discord, have asked about Rob the robber baron. I don't know what that is, but okay. I know. I know. Uh, it's a it's a it's a holiday tale. Okay, <laughs> croissant a holic. What a great name. Oh, thank you, sir. Yeah. Or, or Madam, says John Taylor Gatto, dumbing us down, weapons great of mass book. instruction, is a great resource for the failures of the public school system. Yeah, that Thank is an for that. excellent short read if you want to read an excellent book on it. Unfortunately, he's passed away, I believe, but great book, totally. Thank you. Thank you. I have um, not read him. Maybe, I mean, that's one we could do for book club, but it's like super, it's so short, I'm not even sure... Well, maybe we should. Maybe we should find a spot where we have a short window between two book club options. Like February is a short month. Maybe we should try and throw it in there somewhere. Um, you want to do Pirate Tomsky? Pirate Tomsky says, my main point, 
was how are they supposed to prepare you for a world and business when they've never experienced it? I wasn't dissing the quality of teachers overall. Oh, yeah, I hear you. I didn't think you were. Oh, no, that was, I'll take the blame for that. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Sorry, I almost spit out. <laughs> that's Carter. Yeah, I was dissing the quality entirely. of the teachers overall. Uh, <laughs> obviously, there's exceptions, right? Uh, but, um, yeah. But, no, I agree. They can't, you can't, this is why, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know if this is still the case as much as it was, but in Silicon Valley for a while, there was a kind of feeling that, um, I don't want to say this. So startups kind of got popular because there was like some success with startups. And most of the people that were involved in the ground floor or people that were running them didn't have MBAs. They were you know, engineers or whatever doing stuff. And, you know, they sometimes brought in some, some MBAs to help, but it wasn't like MBAs were starting companies. And I don't know if, again, I don't know if this was everywhere, but there, generally in my circles, at least, there was, there was this feeling of like, MBA is like a pretend business person. Like, I, I would prefer someone who's like done business to, than to someone who like, I got my degree, never done a business, and went and got my MBA, and like, I, like someone who's done both, great, right? But there's always these kind of like newbie NBAs who would come around thinking that they know how to do business and know how to run a business, and it's like, well, look, this guy over here ran a pizza shop for ten years; he's way better than you are, like, because he knows how to run a business. It may be a small business, but he's run a business, um, and so I feel the same way about real life experience for a lot of things. Um, and business is just one of them. So this is one of the reasons why, when I had my entertainment company, my partner and I—you know my partner—she's um, written oh, yeah. a couple of books on interning and does. I think still she does a was podcast. An intern. She was an intern, yeah. And then we yeah. had a lot of interns, and she is she's someone who speaks about how important it is to have internships when you're in school for whatever it is you're learning, so that you're yeah. actually in a company getting that hands-on experience instead of just sitting in a classroom. Oh, absolutely. And I know some engineering schools do this. I did this when I was an engineer. I went, I worked at Calgon Chemical Corporation, if you can imagine, that's a thing. Uh, but it was... Uh, like like Calgon Take Me Away? Yeah. Uh, oh. Although we were building control systems for uh, a paper plant. So it wasn't as exciting as you might think, but chemical control systems. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, you know, here I was, some kid getting an electrical engineering degree thinking I was learning stuff. And I remember going to, it, there was a co-op program, which a lot of engineering schools have, uh, going to work at Calgon. And it was like, oh, this is what, I mean, this is what the real world is like. This is what it's like to have a job. It was a completely uh, useful and mind-blowing experience. It was nothing like school. Um, and it was actually quite helpful. Uh, so... Yeah, I think, and I think for a lot of technical fields, this is why people don't care about degrees as much as they used to, um, because you have the ability to go join open source projects and have a GitHub repository and show that you could build things and design things, and you've got co-op programs and you have a chance to get involved now in a lot of things. And so, what you've done uh, is is much more valuable than the piece of paper from whatever school you went to. Well, along those lines, I did see some people responding to the Dalton school controversy that we just touched on, you know, reading their list mm -hmm. of demands, saying that, great, sort of saying, great, this will speed up the inevitable 
uh, decline of these <laughs> right. these elitist collapsitarianism you know, applied to schools. Collapsitar- yeah, collapsitarianism essentially saying, great, let yeah. it collapse on itself so that the degrees mean less. Let it all collapse. I was like, well, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I will I admit that my my over the course of the last two years when we've started to do this, I have moved more. I've drifted more collapsitarian. I can tell. <laughs> because because it seems like look they're coming out of the woodwork they're like really pushing for this crap and it's like I I know this will implode like maybe throw some gas on the fire and then I mean I'm not gonna I wouldn't speak things I don't agree with so I'm not gonna go pretend to like social justice but uh, you know if they want to do this it's a stupid idea it'll ruin your school go for it <laughs> go go for it go ruin your school yeah um. The sooner the better, because the, by the way, same thing in business. I just uh, there's an analogy here that I want people to think of, because uh, people in business will get this. It's the same reason you don't bail out airlines, for example. You shouldn't, right? When when they hit hard times, you need them to die. You need them to to die as fast as possible, because the faster they die, the faster someone else can come in, scoop up the assets at pennies on the dollar and restart a business that maybe can be functional and profitable moving forward and successful. And the longer you throw money at them, what you're doing is paying a failed business model to, to kind of limp along. What you need is you need that change. You need the, this, this is dead, this didn't work, let it die. Let the investors who invested that money suffer the consequences of a bad investment. Let it crumble and let someone else come in and restart it. Because by the way, just as the airlines example, the airlines aren't gonna go away. All the major airlines could go bankrupt tomorrow. It's not like the planes disappear. Bankruptcy doesn't mean the airports and planes vanish suddenly from the face of the earth. They're still there, they're assets. Someone comes in and buys them. That's what happens. And, and then they have an opportunity to restructure the business and possibly change the business model and run at a profit and actually build something that's sustainable. But the longer you postpone that, the, the slower and more painful the death is and the worse it is for everyone. So that's kind of the, the philosophy that I would maybe apply to this stuff, which is like, yeah, that's a horrible idea. It's taking poison. Go ahead. Because so the, you're killing yourself the- anyway. And the first st- COVID stimulus package, you know, it was a huge bailout for these airlines, like you're talking about. Yep. And in the one they just passed, they're giving uh, the peons, they're giving our, us peons $600 right. <laughs> each. And they're giving airlines an additional $15 billion. Right. 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 And, and they, and they, and they put, they, they foist this stuff on you under the guise of, well, you don't want airlines to cease to exist, do you? And regular people are duped by this because they think to themselves, well, golly, we need airlines. Golly, gee, we can't have the airlines go out of business. Golly, airlines don't like the planes don't vanish when an airline goes out of business Rich people who invested it and executives lose their jobs. That's what happens. They lose their money. They lose their jobs. Someone else buys it. They don't – planes don't vanish from thin air just because books don't balance. That's not how the world works. So don't worry about airlines going out of business. It doesn't mean there won't be airlines. It means there won't be these airlines. But there will be other airlines. Someone will repaint those planes 
And voila, we'll have a new airline industry that won't need handouts from the government to survive. <sighs> Sorry. I like the way you put all of that. <laughs> I especially liked your imitation of average Americans. Oh, I'm, <laughs> Although I'm sorry, average Americans, but really, you deserve it's it. It's a little offensive, but... It's it offensive, but it's true, right? It's true. And okay. if people, if people did, if it didn't work, it, it, look, if it wasn't true, AOC wouldn't get elected. I mean, that's how these, that's yeah. how this stuff happens. That's how you get people. And it's true because they've been going through government schools their entire lives and no one has taught them anything about business at all. So, that's you know, true. someone can say an airline goes out of business means planes disappear and people are like, it does. Ooh, that's bad. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe one economics teacher could have solved that problem when you were in sixth grade, but too bad, you know. Here you are voting for AOC. Okay. My dad um, wants to know why I, at my expensive college, which I took a lot of loans out for, and he paid for a hefty amount. I had an, ele I had an elective one year. And this is after I'd already started making some bad decisions, and my minor was women's studies. And he was like, I invited him to come to my, my elective was African dance. I invited him to come to my <laughs> recital, and he was like, he was very kind. He came, but he was wanted to know why I didn't take economics. Yeah. Well, you know, hey. <laughs> and he was right. In yeah. retrospect. Of course he was right. Of course okay. he was right. By the way, I will admit, uh, Rodrigo, uh, Rodrigo Serafim did just debunk my planes don't disappear. He cited both David Copperfield and the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle. So I stand corrected. Planes do vanish into midair magically, uh, but not through bankruptcy. Okay. Do you want to do Jeanette's Jeanette, super chat? Thank you, Jeanette. Hello, lady. She says, small complaint. Tiger is triggering Axel to run around barking. He's very confused. Love you guys. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Well, tell Axel hello. Uh, Richard Pets. Thank you, Richard. He says, Lynn Dayton. In Mexico, air uh, an air conditioner is called a politician because it makes a lot of noise but doesn't work very well. <laughs> Hi to you guys. Yeah, but it blows hot air. Oh, well. Is an air conditioner really called a politician in Mexico? That's funny. I don't know, but that would be awesome if it was. At least they have no trust in their politicians, so they're ahead of us on that front. <laughs> oh, we have a new person, Marion. Marion Deckery. Hello, Marion. She says, I'm a new fan. Thanks, Karen Carter. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to Unsafe Space. Many thanks to this community for maintaining my sanity this year. Welcome. Awesome. Merry Christmas. We maintain each other's sanity, or we try to. Uh, Sometimes we... Maybe push each other a little bit in the insane. <laughs> but we, we spring back. Uh, Tax Terra. Thank you, Tax Terra. Gives us another super chat and says, Beware the educational industrial complex. Yeah, well put, Tax Terra. Absolutely. Um, and by the way, this is one of the reasons why all Marxists, all, all variants of Marxism, and actually all variants of authoritarianism, not just Marxism, they're all obsessed with youth. They all have youth programs. They're all obsessed about schools. They're all they're all obsessed about controlling the youth because they know what they're doing. All right, you want to do why uh, bother? You do the next one. I lost in my scroll. I lost where I'm at. All right, well, the next one is why bother? Why bother says, do they need exactly 13 diversity offers for some officers for some kind of cultist ritual? <laughs> Sounds like an X-Files episode. Yeah, it does, right? There'll be 12 around a circle of 
and there'll be drops of blood in the middle, and then the 13th will stand there in a robe and chant, I don't know, chant something to someone. <laughs> I, I lost, sorry. I was weaving a whole ritual in my head, and then I realized I'm not really a ritual expert. I don't know what they would do. He would hold some dead chickens up. Of, and then, uh, I don't remember know. all the, the dumb blonde jokes back from the 80s and 90s? Yeah, Somebody I made a lot of up because I was blonde in the 80s and 90s, so I, okay. I, I could make them. Well, we need to come up with some SJW jokes, like how many SJWs does it take to X, Y, Z? Yeah, yeah. Depends on the color, but uh doesn't really matter what X, Y, Z is. Uh, okay. <laughs> John Martin, you guys have... Oh, wow, 50 bucks. Thank you, John Martin. You guys have become one of my favorite podcasts. Great perspective and great rants. Merry Christmas. Thank you, John. Merry Christmas to you. Yes, Your money will go to a computer. By the way, if you haven't noticed, my computer is surviving right now. I found another fan after the first one broke. It's sitting here blowing into the open computer. Fingers crossed <laughs> that we, we don't die. But the new computer parts are coming on Wednesday. So that's what I'm spending the holidays doing, putting that together. Okay. You want to do Amanda? Oh, Amanda Kate. That looks like a cute picture of her, their dog. Uh, she says, I'm so grateful I found your channel and content this year. You helped make my last nine months of working from home in Pennsylvania tolerable. God bless. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Merry Happy Christmas. New Year. That's cool. Good to hear from you. Uh, Samuel Burke. Today's like everybody's just giving good cheer in Super Chats and Merry Christmases. I love it. Samuel Burke says, y'all are my good favorite. Vibes. I just wanted to contribute to the new PC fund. Thank you. Carter has ordered a new PC using our rainy day fund. And so we have a bunch of interviews. We, Can we put rainy day funding quotes by draining of the last of our bank account. Carter has purchased. PC. Uh, we're going to be anyway, so we're rescheduling those interviews. We've uh, we'll be announcing some of those soon. I think we're well, I have confirmed the date. We're going to do Gary from Nerdrotic. Mm. We're going to get to talk to him again without computer woes, hopefully, because we'll have a Carter will have a new computer. That'll be January 6th, and we'll let you know what time. Um, but thank you guys for helping with the computer cost. That was yes. – some people said they really liked that episode because uh, you're you banging on the fan. <laughs> it was pretty was good, right? It intentionally funny. Yeah, this fan is quieter, but if it makes noises, you'll get some fan-banging footage. You should call that it a politician. <laughs> yes. Cheeky Mayor. Hello, Cheeky. She says, I have a mechanical engineering degree from Purdue University. I worked for my mom's restaurant getting summer uh, during summer instead of getting an internship. Get an internship. <laughs> Not having that experience cost me a starting salary. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've hired a lot of engineers. Uh, there's a big difference between a newbie, complete newbie, and someone who's worked somewhere else. Somebody who's had experience, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, look. Pyrotomsky's coming to the rescue. How many SJWs does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know, but it only takes one to screw up everything else. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pyrotomsky. That was a good joke. Uh. <laughs> uh, that's a, For everybody who read the book and did the discussion with us yesterday, you'll get this. But that's a joke that's always funny. <laughs> yes, that's an always funny joke. That's an always funny joke. Not just a one-time funny joke. Last one. Be B. Allen, thank you, B. Allen says, to help Carter replace his Commodore 64. <laughs> yeah. It was one of the most embarrassing things about the computer failure last week was admitting that it was a 2012 Mac. <laughs> that, uh, 
this is not a super chat. I just want to read it in the chat. I just am scrolling through. Square Inch says, how many SJWs does it take to change a light bulb? That's offensive. <laughs> <laughs> That's another good joke. That's the right answer. <laughs> That's not funny. Uh, that's that's a funny multiple times. Um, Andrew Joyner gives us two pounds and says Merry Lock Merry Lockdown Christmas from London. Yeah, we should talk about London, but man, you guys, sorry, you're locked down over there, pretty pretty horribly. Oh wow, LPJ uh, gives us a hundred bucks. Thank you, LPJ. That's very generous and says Merry Christmas, elves. Uh, wow. That is definitely computer fund money. I You're appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, wow. Okay. Thank you. All right. What else do we talk about today? <sighs> There's so much. Um, I saw you put up a picture of, was it Gavin Newsom? It was. I feel like I need to mention Gavin Newsom at least. Also, frankly, Beverly and I were talking last night, and she needed a picture, and I was like, she was like, you guys are trying to recall Gavin Newsom. And I was like, oh, yeah, we'll mention that, I guess. Uh so that's why Gavin Newsom's up there. Uh, we are, by us guys, she means California. <clears throat> we are trying to re- recall Gavin Newsom, which, for me, I, I would have agreed with for no reasons. Um, so I'm, I'm down. But here is, let's see, let me see if I can find the article. So one of my favorite things about this, Carrie, is the, the way that it's worded <laughs> in the mainstream media. Recall efforts against California governor and attempt to destabilize the political system, analysts say. Uh, now, by the way, the analysts are Democrats. <laughs> so, sure. Sure. Of course the, anal- the analysts say that. There is, there is this thing, though, if you're interested. They're up to 55% uh, of the signatures needed to have a recall vote for Gavin. And, uh, you know... They cite their grievances with Gavin. I mean, if you live in a socialist hellhole, I mean, you can throw a dart at anything he's done and hit grievances that are worthy of recall. So they did that. They threw some darts. And, uh, yeah, I guess... Um, did you sign that petition? Wait, say that again? Did you sign that petition? I didn't realize it existed, so I have not yet. Maybe I maybe I should. Did you get quiet? Did she, If she got quiet all of a sudden, let me know, because she got quiet for me. I don't know if it was my end. Um, okay, so, uh, they're saying, oh, the poor governor, he's battered by crises, coronavirus, crippling unemployment, (laughs) which, notice, those are unrelated, according to the author of this article, devastating wildfires, and one very poorly, a very poorly timed fancy dinner, not like, you know, it wasn't like anything wrong with the fancy dinner, it was just poorly timed, it's bad timing, you know, right when you're telling people to never go out, go into French laundry, okay, um, there's a petition, blah, blah, blah. They quote some people. I mean, there's not, there's not that much here to talk about too much, but you can see my favorite is just how this is all spun by the media. Uh, here's their, uh, Dan Newman, spokesman for the governor. They quote him, who of course is going to try and be a little this. This is a ragtag crew of pro-Trump anti-vax extremists. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, I don't think it's something anyone wants. Well, I mean, let's see. It's something, I don't know, 800,000 people want it at least. So I don't 
be anyone might be a stretch. <laughs> I'd be surprised if Californians wanted to spend the extra money and have another election the following year. Yes, yes. You don't, you don't want to spend the money to get rid of the governor who spends money like it's cocaine in Vegas. Yes, that's, that's right. I know I'm spending all of your money and ruining your economy, but you wouldn't want to fire me because that costs money. Uh, all right, the current event recall effort is one of six such attempts. Okay, fine. Um, then they talk about, you know, there came announcements that thousands of inmates would be granted parole while everyone else has to stay home. Yeah, you know, that rubbed some of us the wrong way, just FYI. And, oh, he ate at the front laundry while telling everyone he couldn't go anywhere. Um, it's about arrogance. Okay, everyone knows arrogance of power, blah, blah, blah. Here's what their analyst has to say. Uh, political analysts warn. <laughs> Here we go. Now, by the way, this is a political science professor from Loyola Marymount. I'm sure uh, totally unbiased. <clears throat> Republicans see it as a way to destabilize the political system and to make government ineffective. <laughs> we don't need your help making government ineffective, sir. Uh, I'm not even a Republican, but they, they want to create paralysis. This is the same as overturning the 2018 gubernatorial election. So following the procedures or recalling a governor by collecting petitions is the same as overturning an election. So, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot to say about this other than this is the craziness. This is how it's described. Uh, we're supposed to um, view everyone as extremists, which is a word that I hate, which I've said before. The word extremist is not a bad word, um, but it's used. Uh, people who use the word extremist just aren't thinking philosophically. It's just another ad hominem bad word. It sounds bad, so they say extremist because they're afraid to say or can't name the actual things that are wrong with what they're saying or with what someone else is doing. So they just say extremist, right? But show me extremely healthy. <laughs> You're extremely moral. You're an extremist. Okay. Um, I wanted to add, uh if you're done with the Newsom stuff, you there's nothing exciting about Newsom. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just making me so, flash please. back to the when I lived in California, the 2003 recall election. And that's the only how, successful one in California's history, actually. Yeah, Ray Davis. Yeah, interesting. Okay, did you vote to recall him? I can't remember if I voted to recall him or not. I probably didn't because he's a Democrat, so I wouldn't have. I, I, I usually did oh, everything you were still tribally. SCW. Right, yeah. and when Arnold Schwarzenegger won, I cried. Yeah, so you probably didn't, because everyone knew at the time that Schwarzenegger was going to run. Yeah. Even before the I, I thought, yeah. sobbed. I had a moment of uh, just the 2000 election really hurt, impacted me. I had a bit of TDS, but about Bush, although I still oh, hold uh, a lot of those okay. opinions <laughs> about him. I think I don't think he was a great president. Um and but for some reason, because California was my my, you know, that was my state at the time. The California one upset me more. I remember thinking just how how can all these, you know, the way that they do you, the way that you put people. Into, how can all of these idiots, da, 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 you know, it destroyed yeah. my faith in humanity, all of that stuff. I was sort of uh, shell shocked by it, which yeah. uh, was how I felt when Trump won. I was shell shocked by it. But. Well, you know, something people don't realize about California, I think even in the last election, I think the state that contributed the largest number of Republican votes was California. Um, like, yeah, it's a blue state, but it's big. 
There's a lot of votes Stay. in California. There are a lot of yeah. people who are not lefties. Mostly they're in, you know, the Dust Bowl and like outside of major cities or hiding in the major cities because you can't you can't speak up <laughs> if you want to survive. Uh, you can't say anything. But yeah, um, hey, I don't know. So Worth mentioning. Okay. Uh, thank you guys for the super chats. We'll get to them in a second. I don't want to just keep reading them out right now. I want to hit a topic first. Yeah, let's hit a topic. So David French. What do you know about him? Oh, God. The name rings a bell. Doesn't he write for The Atlantic and some other things sometimes? Nas- I know I've read uh, stuff. But he's a fellow at the National Review Institute. He's staff writer at the National Review. Mm. I guess he's written for Time and some other places. Okay. Is he one of these people that, that uh, on the right, that they call never Trumpers? Do you know? I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. I don't I don't know, but I, I wouldn't. Yeah. So I don't Most know Most mainstream about him. writers that are Republican are never Trumpers. Okay, yeah, I think that's what he is. I'm not sure, but I'm 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 still learning about a lot of the writers and people on the right. So uh, I'm I'm asking because I read this article of his that I saw getting shared around. I just sent it to you, and it's about evangelicals, but even more specifically, it's about white evangelicals. Okay. And I've seen a lot of the woke Christians the ones who, in my opinion, are blasphemous because they've replaced Christianity with wokeness or they're trying to corrupt Christianity with wokeness, which is, is doesn't vibe with the Bible. It doesn't, it doesn't vibe with the gospel. Um, I've seen a lot of them celebrating this article, and it's called Why Do They Hate Us? By the way, people are saying he is a never-Trumper. Okay. So. That's funny because that's the gut instinct I got just from reading this piece. Okay. <laughs> Because uh, I'm like trying to figure him out. Anyway, it's called Why Do They Hate Us? And mm-hmm. notice that he puts himself in the uh, subject there, us. He's, he's lumping himself in with white evangelicals, mm. which is interesting. He says, race, Christian nationalism, and white evangelical alienation from America. <clears throat> and this is a very interesting piece to me. Because on the one hand... Um, do you want to pull it up? I want to read I was just say, a little Do you bit. have a link? You want to send me a link? I, can I, pull it up. I sent it to you. Oh, you did? Oh, sorry. I, I missed it. The French okay. press one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's pull it up here. So, he says, in short, this is the second paragraph, contrary to popular conservative Christian belief, evangelicals are not just facing resistance for their righteousness. They are also reaping what they've sown with their own commitment to partisan politics and to sometimes unjust and even malicious policies that have no grounding in biblical ethics. So this is his thesis. Does he does it, he cite them? Well, he goes on at the end to repeat this thesis. His, this is his belief, right? So here's what he cites. Um, well, first of all, he says uh, there's no question that many millions of theologically conservative wait, wait, Christians. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. Before we get into, can I just point okay. something out here yeah. that he's doing? Um, because I think this is how um, this is how this is how Marxism has creeped in. He is treating. Um, my guess is he's he's treating any principled approach as. Um, <clears throat> as a problem and that and he thinks that compromise is the right answer always 
because he's he's probably a pragmatist. And so what they do is they say it's unreasonable to not compromise on principles. And what that means is uh, they get you to compromise, and their and what and the other the other major set of principles at play here is our Marxist principles. And so you are in a cycle of continually continually compromising, splitting the difference between radical authoritarian Marxism principles and whatever counter principles you have. And so you're always moving towards the left. It's just why. But this is how they get away with it, by eradicating principles as a valid reason to oppose something and, and claiming that you're just being a radical or you're being extremist and you ought to just be practical and compromise. So, sorry. Let, let's and he going. even goes on, I would argue, you'll see, he even goes on to define uh, Christian belief as somehow radical, even though he's putting himself in that same category. It's weird. Um, oh, okay. Let's see. Okay, that's my take on it anyway. Yeah, yeah. So he says, uh, so first of all, he says, you know, a lot of Christians, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, a lot of Christians will uh, say, you know, just as, quote, just as Jesus and the apostles promised, the world hates us because of our faith. We reject the world's libertine sexual ethics and commitment to abortion, and thus the world rejects us. So then he says, well, there is some truth in this statement. I've seen it with my own eyes, et cetera, et cetera. But then he says... <laughs> Scroll down a little bit. Um, there's also a less comforting and also quite true answer to the question, why do they hate us? Wait, there is, is a growth. Okay. Oh, here, way down here. Okay, got it. Yeah. There is a growing cultural divide between white evangelical America and much of the rest of the nation that has nothing to do with Christian faithfulness. Now, first of all, uh, I, I agree with him. There's a growing cultural divide. Sure. Between, and I would not say white evangelical America. I would just say evangelical America. Sure. Like he's trying to pin this on, uh, he's trying to tie up evangelical with white. Mm -hmm. But I would say it's a, it's a, the divide is growing between uh, Christians and I would say the secular woke world. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also growing between unwoke atheists and atheists. You know, it's like, I think this divide, this cultural divide, is over wokeness, and I think he, for some reason, has a blind spot and can't see what the divide is really about. But that's my opinion. Yeah, no, he so would he throw says, me in with evangelical white America. Oh yeah, no, I'm an atheist, absolutely. Even though you're an atheist, <laughs> yeah. you would be in the bad side, Carter. Mm -hmm. So he says uh, there's a growing cultural divide, and uh, between, and it has nothing to do with Christian faithfulness. Now, for, he goes on to in this piece, it's almost as if he's saying. Um, E white evangelical America, or let's just say evangelical America, they're on the uh, unpopular side of this cultural divide. And then it's almost as if he's taking that itself as evidence that they are therefore wrong and bigoted. He well, doesn't offer to a any... pragmatist, that's true. Oh, okay. Because there are, no, there are no values. He's just pragmatic, so whatever's popular is moral. He, he's a... Uh, he's, uh, He's getting this is a it's um what what did Rand call it a social metaphysician, he he's he looks around instead of seeing what deciding what morals and ethics are true based on his own judgment or a belief system or whatever he looks around and at what his neighbors do and that's true, that's what truth is. That's what truth is. Yeah, I it was mm -hmm. really bothering me. I was like, 
wait a minute, why are you, you seem to be taking the side, the secular side in this cultural war only because it's popular. Yeah. You never actually make the argument that it's more moral. You just take right. that at faith as if we should all take that at faith too. Yeah. And, and can I say what I, sorry, I'm, I'm interjecting yeah. a lot here, but the other thing I want to say about this is these people like him, they're the ones actually who are, uh, the ambassadors of Marxism. They're the ones who are actually bringing bad ideas into society because if it weren't for these pragmatists, you would have bad ideas and you would have them contrasted very clearly with people with principles on the other side and people could have principled arguments and discussions and you would see the bad ideas for what they are. But people like him obscure the fact that this is a principled conversation to be having, that we're talking about morals, that we're talking about real principles that matter, and they convert everything into this kind of detail-oriented, pragmatic approach with a myopic view of, of everything. And so we don't have the conversation we should precisely because people like him are preventing us from having that conversation. They're, they're couching this as just some sort of pragmatic disagreement and one side is being impractical. Yeah. That's exactly how he does it. It's mm -hmm. you, it's almost like you don't even need to read this article, Carter. <laughs> this is why I don't read these articles. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know what he's going to say. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll just read a little bit more of it. He says, no, I'm not talking primarily about Donald Trump. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you had to say that <laughs> means we know who you're talking about. But thank you. <laughs> no, I'm not talking primarily I'm also about talking Donald about Trump supporters. <laughs> yeah, he goes... <laughs> Support for the president is a symptom, not the I disease. See. Well, I actually think support for Trump is a symptom of a disease, too. But the disease is wokeness. I think a lot of people voted for him because wokeness. We, we are terminal. It's the body's natural wokeness. response to the woke yes. virus. Yes. yes, it's the yeah. body's natural response to the woke virus. Um, okay, he goes, instead, I'm talking about race and immigration, history and the vast and growing gulf between white evangelicals and the rest of the United States on issues that dominate so many American hearts. Hearts, guys. Mm -hmm. uh, la last month, the University of Virginia's Institute for Advanced Studies in Culture published a report called Democracy in Dark Times that was designed to take a deeper look at the different beliefs and motivations of red and blue America. Its findings regarding white evangelicals were startling. <laughs> evangelicals it said were emerging as the cultural other now i agree yeah I that think, that's true yeah i think and not again he's trying to say white but i'm just saying christians are emerging as the other perhaps um he, it says the cultural other is an individual or more than likely an entire group whose beliefs and practices place them outside of normal or acceptable society. Their way of thinking and of life We're being othered. Yeah. Their way of thinking of life offends the sensibilities and ideals of the dominant group, in this case being the woke group, right? This is what they're saying. And right. in this sense, they are stigmatized in the extreme. As such, the cultural other is regarded as not just outside of the in-group, but so far outside that their very presence represents a profound ethical violation that might even be experienced as repugnant to those who are not part of it. This so would deplorables. now, 
Yeah, this would now seem to be how many people outside of evangelism, uh, I can't say that word. Evangel, evangelicalism. Evangelicalism <laughs> have come to think about the modern day evangelical movement and those who compose it, compromise it. So, uh, comprise it. So this, for me, I agree with all of this. I've, I think yeah, except that, can, I, can I just point something out here also? He, they're using, this is subtle language crap. Yeah. Evangelical is not the right word. He just means Christians. Yes, he just means Christians. He doesn't mean evangelicals. Evangelicals are the people that, like, stand on the street corner and try and convince you and go, like, he just means anyone who is trying to be Christian. Actually Christian and not woke first. That's what he means. But he's going to use the word evangelicals because even a lot of mainstream Christians always feel a little bit weird about evangelicals because they're socially awkward because people don't like having conversations with evangelicals because evangelicals are often, you know, historically were the ones that were like, you should accept Jesus. I'm going to bother you until you're going to have to listen to me. I'm going to like, they're always trying to preach to people that they're evangelizing constantly. I'm not saying all evangelicals are like that. I'm just saying that's the connotation with the word evangelical. It's just why he's using that word. Um, but we're not talking about just people who are evangelical. We're also talking about anyone, even if they don't have evangelical behavior, who believes the tenets, right? Um, and that's most actual Christians, frankly. I think what uh, one thing that might be happening also is that they tend to like to um, create. Let me. What's the right way to put this? It's easier to attack things if you if you pick a small group of people and make them in the minds of others, make them uh, untouchables, deplorables. And so, like, for example, with wokeness, <clears throat> they've done this with uh, white men, straight white men, so much so that, you know, there are articles written about how you know, black men are the straight white men of black people. You know, it's like you can make it as a, yeah, as a and bad, they typically they typically choose the label that's most disturbing at first. So if you'll notice what they did right away was use the word Nazi. Like the early, they, they haven't used it as much now, but yeah. what they did early was they used the word Nazi because everyone agrees. A, Nazi's a tiny subset. B, everyone agrees Nazi's a bad word. And in fact, legitimately Nazi's a bad word, right? But it also has right. very bad connotations, which, which are deserved. So they can use that word, but then all the arguments made with that are like, well, neo-Nazi, well, people who are, da, 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 well, white supremacy, well, white and well, white people generally, well, men, but like they just, they just kind of expand it to anyone supporting what was originally labeled this very bad word, but actually is not. They don't mean just that's, that group of people. That's yeah, that's kind of what I sort of what I was trying to say. I think is that if they. If they make evangelical a bad word, and I will tell you, I think they have been successful at doing that culturally, mm -hmm. just because as someone who was in the social justice cult, I, I still don't know what evangelicals are, but I know that I don't have all the opinions about them that I used to. And I actually went to an evangelical church here for a while, and it, which is funny because I would be like, what are we? <laughs> like, what are you? All I had heard were that, you know, I had this boogeyman in my mind of these horribly racist right. sexist bigots evangelicals all the bad words that that brings up so if they can successfully culturally isolate a small group one type of christian i guess uh then it's easier to like you said expand that out right to christians as a whole 
but first they have to make that they're using that boogeyman word, you know? Yeah. And I want to be clear because someone in chat was saying it's evangelists. I'm not saying, I'm not claiming to define correctly what an evangelical is. What I'm saying is how, how evangelical that as a word is responded to emotionally in mainstream society, not what the actual definition is. And it is a little bit of a boogeyman word. People do respond to it in like a eh, kind of way. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Right? So, okay, so let's move on just a little. I think, so they're talking about the cultural othering that's happening of, mm-hmm. uh, of, of what they're calling white evangelicals, how mm-hmm. they uh, their beliefs and practices place them on the outside of normal and acceptable society, how their way of thinking in life offends the sensibilities and ideals deals of mainstream culture in America. Mm-hmm. And um, so here we go. This is another part from the paper they're quoting. Mm-hmm. On theological and philosophical grounds alone, evangelicalism today finds itself outside of the mainstream of the contemporary world. But the more political power the evangelical movement has sought to wield, and the more the evangelical movement has aligned itself with the politics and practices of the political right, the more its reputation has been diminished. Right. So this is very clearly saying you guys vote the wrong way. You guys vote for, mm-hmm. on yep. average, you guys are voting for Republicans, and Republicans are evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, isn't yeah, that what absolutely. this is saying? Yeah, I mean, again, this guy is just... he. The, to him, the world of ideas is a popularity contest like junior high school. That's his, his level of thinking is what's popular. It's so weird because I'm like, what's wrong with voting Republican? Yeah. I mean, how is it any different? Than, like, there's, there, I don't find anything inherently wrong with voting Republican or Democrat. I think everybody has different reasons why they're choosing who the candidate they choose. As you know, I'm a lifetime Democrat who voted Republican this time because my reason is because the Democratic Party, I don't think, is liberal anymore. I mean, I would hope they would. I hope one day they come back to become back to liberalism. But currently there are authoritarians. So but I have friends who voted Democrat like I'm not, you know, you guys are voting the wrong way and your reputation has been diminished like i just i don't there's something he's coming at yeah. this from a perspective as if we all agree that voting for the right is wrong it's interesting that because i what i'm seeing here is an admission that society has used social pressure and uh manipulation techniques to make a certain group of people uncool that's all yeah. I'm seeing. Hey, we made these guys uncool, so, you know, maybe they should stop. <laughs> yeah. You guys are still voting for the uncool party. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so then they go on to show some of the data from the study. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> he says, the gap between white evangelicals and the rest of America. He's really trying to isolate white evangelicals here, not just evangelicals. And the rest of America, uh, it, it, the biggest gap is on matters of race. And so he shows this graph and it says the numbers are just immense. Moreover, concerns about racism are no mere side issue in the survey. They represented the top political concern of progressive partisans. Okay, what? that means they're not the top. That means they're just the top for progressives. Look at this right. graph. 
And and so we know where David French sides on this. David French is over on the left side somewhere. Um, yeah. But can I just, again, I'm just going to yeah. point this out. Whenever you see graphs like this, this is, these graphs are built by pragmatists. Um, that's what, this is pragmatism expressed graphically. It's, here's all the different beliefs. Here's the universe of current beliefs on some scale. I'm going to divide a line and declare that things on this side are this and things on that side are that. That's a principleless. It's a, there's no principles involved in this graph. Zero. There is no principle thinking. This is all. These could all be right wing positions. He could just label them that way. They could all be left wing positions. There's no. There's no principles here. This is just. This is just. These people think this way, and these people think this way, and we're going to divide it here. There's no principles related to this at all, at yeah. all. So whenever you see these graphs. Uh, it's, you know, there's a few exceptions where they have like that, you know, that little libertarian test where you take things and I believe in this and I believe in that. Those are principle based questions. And so you end up on a graph somewhere. But whenever they do these kind of things with like these kind of issues and then they try and draw like, oh, here's how we've moved to the left or here's how we've moved to the right or here's how society has changed. Those are all arbitrary and they have nothing to do with principles at all. Zero. This is how a pragmatist views the world. Um, and they view the mean as some sort of they, they worship the mean mathematically. It's a weird, weird thing. Sorry, I didn't need to. Oh, you're fine. Look at some of the stuff on. OK, so this is a graph of extremely at the top. We have these are things you consider to be an extremely serious threat. And as you approach the bottom, right, as you wait and as you approach the bottom, things that are not a serious threat. Right. And then we have for anybody listening on the right, you've got conservative partisan and on the left you've got progressive partisan and then you have all these issues and they're plotted in here in yep. different places so for example at the top near extremely serious threat you can see political polarization and divisiveness is in the middle and it's at the top meaning it's something that both so-called conservative partisans and progressive partisans both agree that yep. that's an extremely serious threat but then you've got some differences so at the very top on the left side on the progressive side you've got racism, unequal treatment of whites and blacks. That's not on the right side. Uh, at the top of the right side, in terms of serious threats, you've got media distortions and fake news. And then you've got China as a close second. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I kind of agree with the right side. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's wrong with this so far? <laughs> I would also say that racism... And unequal treatment is becoming a, a, a very serious threat it, because of things like critical race theory, because of the racism that's being pushed by by the authoritarian left. I think yep. it's I think, unfortunately, it's something that, you know, in decades past, it, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, wouldn't have been as high up as it is now. And I am a little surprised I don't see it on the right side, just even if they mean something different. Um but he, he lays all this out. So he basically says, you know, his argument is that, look, the progressives recognize that racism is a big problem. And I'm taking as a presupposition that we all agree it's a big problem. Therefore, the conservatives are wrong. Like, but he doesn't actually <laughs> offer anything to say. Why? Why is that right? Why is that correct that your perception? Why is it correct to have a perception that that's the biggest problem? Right, because he's and, writing from this blue pool. 
Yeah, because he's writing over from over there as if we all agree on these things. Uh-huh. Yeah. It really bo- that really bothers me. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then he says, when you drill down into the numbers, look at these numbers. Um, percent of people that see racism uh, as a very serious threat. And he says in, in this study, African-American, 86% said they do see it as a serious threat. 70% of Hispanics, 68% of white non-evangelicals. So that's white people who are not evangelicals. But then look at these evil white evangelical Protestants. <laughs> Only 36% of them think racism's a problem, guys. These guys are bad, right? Like, that's that's what he's trying to show you with this. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, again, this is a popularity contest. Yeah. Look, the popular opinion is this, and these people have a different than the popular opinion. And and by the way, if you're talking about David French, popular should be in quotes. This is popular among media elites because he's. I mean, I don't know much about him, but he's definitely part of the cathedral. So there you go. Um, he goes on to show other graphs where uh, white evangelicals have a greater percentage of white evangelicals support the child separation policy, for example. But he just sort of skims over the fact that Muslims are pretty close behind white evangelicals. I mean, that's not worth mentioning, right? Or Mormons. Mormons Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's just sort of trying to say it's just this white evangelical thing. And then... uh, Actually, wait, can I pause on this one? This is interesting to me. This, This is fascinating to me as an atheist, right? Look. The... The non-religious, these are all religions at the top. The atheists and agnostics are at the bottom. They are at the very bottom. This this graph shows to me the difference between having a religion and having the kind of de facto state theism that passes as atheism in society right now. That's this difference. That's this difference. It's not... This is not. This is not white. White. I don't see white evangelical versus everyone else. I, I I look at this and I go, oh, clearly the extent to which you're religious matters. Yeah, it's interesting, right? On this, that's what it means. But and you but, can okay. say that without even taking a position, a policy position. And he's writing this from the perspective of, uh, there's no way to be for the separation policy without being immoral. But I've heard people make arguments on behalf of the separation policy that were not immoral, that they gave their reasoning why. Yep. Um, you know, because because uh, if if you are, wait, what, separate children from their parents, and parents can be prosecuted. Right. They were separating them because they're, if they're holding the adult in a cell. Prison, right. In prison, they necessarily have to separate the child unless they're going to put them in prison. I, I I don't I, I I can see people having a moral position on both sides of this question, so the way that he presents it as if uh, the moral argument is only on one and you must answer this way to be moral I just don't agree with that. Right, I mean, re- replace the word illegal entry into the U.S. with murder. Separate right. children from their parents when parents can be prosecuted for murder. Well, yeah, actually. Yeah, you're yeah, not going to go to we would jail do that. with your parent. <laughs> We're not going to cry uh, about kids in cages when that happens. So this is a, the, the, 
this is an emotional question as well, because the question really is, should illegal entry into the U.S. be a crime? That's the question. But what they've done is emotionalize it by saying, yeah, should it be, children. Should, should children be separated? Well, and look, you, if it's a crime, bear- then they get separated. That, that's the question. And that bears out in the next graph, which is, uh, it says that they support reducing evil, even legal immigration, legal immigration. by 50 percent, mm-hmm. even legal. So the question is, would you support reducing limo- legal immigration by 50 percent? And they show, look, white evangelicals, 55 percent of white evangelicals said they would support reducing legal immigration by 50 percent. Orthodox are 52 percent, white Catholic, 49, Hindu, 41 percent. And it goes on down. Until uh, yep. at, the, at the bottom again, you have agnostics and atheists at around 13. But the atheists win this time. We're at the very bottom. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. So these, again, these graphs, I think, only, are only looking way, at this. Would, can I ask would you a question about this? What? Yeah. Sorry. I, I, is he saying that reducing legal immigration is some sort of racist position? Yes. That's oh, what I was okay. about to say. So, okay. so. You would only look at this and say, oh, look, white evangelicals are immoral. If you believe that reducing legal immigration itself is immoral, you have to agree with his, his presuppositions to even come away with the opinions that he has because he doesn't support them with arguments. There's no argument in this paper for he. nothing in this article explains why he thinks it's immoral to have any of these positions. He just takes it on faith that we all recognize that these are immoral positions to have. And look, yes. the white evangelicals have more of them. Um, yeah. But he but he doesn't ever explain it. And then he goes on and he finishes it out with a big, here we go. <laughs> uh, he's basically saying, okay, again, it's worth emphasizing that many white evangelical positions, political positions on matters of immense importance to many millions of Americans do not flow naturally from evangelical biblical orthodoxy. Well, okay, he also doesn't prove that. He just says things like that in this in this essay, and he doesn't explain. I was going to say means. he didn't he didn't attack that argument at no. all. He didn't do anything. No, he didn't. No. There isn't a straight line from scripture to severe immigration restrictions, for example, or from scripture to confidence in American police. But but you didn't explore any of that in this article. You didn't ask right. where could this be coming from. And so based on this article, there, may, there might be. I mean, look, based on this article, there may as well be a verse in the Bible that says immigration should not should be restricted in the United States in the year 2020. And we wouldn't know because he didn't bother to even try and make a biblical argument for anything. He didn't. And then he says, instead, the political gaps between white evangelicals and the rest of America flow from a series of historical, cultural, and ideological commitments that are contestable at best and unjust at worst. Uh, what does really he mean unju- by that? Again, well, he uh, who knows because he didn't def- he didn't argue he didn't make any arguments. Then he says Christians should defend religious liberty; they should defend life, but they should not even begin to presume that their ongoing othering in American society is a product of their virtue. Sometimes the world rejects Christians because it rejects Christ. Sometimes, however, the world rejects Christians because Christians are cruel. (laughs) In that case, alienation isn't persecution. It represents righteous judgment for our own political sin. Now, look how he puts himself in the title. He said us. 
And then at the and the very last sentence, he says, our own. He puts himself in both of these things. Why? Why? Because he's he's certainly so he can othered, attack it. Yes. He's yeah. certainly othered himself from this group. He's certainly saying, I don't agree with any of these things. But then he puts himself in there for the group judgment. I yeah, I like I this phrase was... political sin as well. This is a this is an interesting yeah. one. Right. Our political sin. Because there is nothing, there's no such thing, really. That's not a thing in Christian theology. Yeah. Political sin. So according to him, political sin is just voting, what, voting for a Republican? Is that the takeaway here? Voting for a Republican is bad and immoral. So say I, David French, and it's not based in the Bible. So say I, David French, and right. Therefore, you guys are all guilty, but I'm going to say we, so it seems like I'm judging myself, but I'm not, but I'm judging you because I'm not like you because I'm good. <laughs> exactly that. Exactly that. Uh, now, yeah, he, David French, um, now I'll remember who David French is. Yes. He, he has a PhD in ad hominem and rhetoric, uh, apparently. Uh, yeah. Look. And again, you don't even have to agree with these positions. That I, you know, that the large percentage of white evangelicals are supporting. You don't have to even agree with those. No, you don't. To find what he's doing to be sort of dishonest, and I, I just found it as really dishonest. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to, I want to throw out one thing because it needs to be said. I hate whenever anyone brings this up with immigration. So uh, there is, you don't have to agree with this moral argument, but you got to understand restricting restricting immigration can have nothing to do with race nothing to do with race there is a valid concern that many people have based on the following facts one the u.s is the most free has been the most free and and has the the best constitution of any government in history it is the it is most focused on individual rights and those rights have been slipping the government has been expanding and violating those rights to a greater degree, increasing its own debt, and basically driving itself into bankruptcy and socialism. One. Two. We are in a system where voting is the primary method by which government expands and we get less freedom and fewer rights are protected. We're also in a system where we have a huge social safety net. A huge social social safety net. So, it is perfectly rational to say, well, look, we got to get rid of the social safety net before we can let other people come in because that costs money. And I'm con- particularly concerned about the beliefs of the people coming in, not their race. I'm particularly concerned about their valuing of freedom, liberty, individual rights, small government, the things that make this country unique. And to the extent that we are import, look, if we were importing a bunch of libertarians, the left would be all about the wall. Well, the left would well, be all about building a wall. They they are happy to have immigration specifically because they believe it will help Push the country in the direction they want. This is not but an argument not about race. But they're entirely right. I mean, the thing is, a lot of immigrants do care about individualism and individual rights. That's it depends they where they're from, here. but I think but they are you, largely correct. Right. They're not completely see, correct. Though, and the, even the New York Times ran an article that says, this was today, um, yes. immigrant neighborhoods shifted red 
as the country chose blue. That's the headline in the New York Times. And it goes right. on to say, across the U.S., many areas with large populations of Latinos and residents of Asian descent, including ones with the highest number of immigrants, had something in common this election, a surge in turnout and a shift to the right, often a sizable one. So his whole yeah, but I just what, thing, right doesn't though, mean freedom. So. No, but I'm saying his whole his whole freaking article was about how white evangelicals don't vote the way that is positive for immigrants. Well, hey, guess what, David French? The New York Times today is talking about how immigrants voted with those white evangelicals. Immigrants shifted to where those white evangelicals are. How is that? that Some, how do you I think. Explain that. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, though, on average immigrants do pull the donkey lever more than they right. vote Republican. Like that, that's true. Not immigrants from Cuba, not immig- like it depends on where they're from. It like obviously depends on their ideology. I do think there will be a shift uh, because the democratic party has abandoned uh, actually a- any sort of working person uh, it, unless they're focused on race. You know, they're, they're, they've, they've, they've become the elitist SJW party. So, there is an opportunity to pick up immigrants who just want, you know, jobs and a, a better economy. Like, so maybe the Republicans will pick up some more immigrants. But my point isn't necessarily to say whether that's true or false. My point is the left believes that believe immigration that. will help them. So far, it has. Maybe that will not continue, but they believe it will help them. And the reason that they're pro-immigration has nothing to do with their supposed bleeding hearts or kids in cages or they care about XYZ or blah, 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 because they're happy to tell Trump he's got to go bomb Assad because of whatever and, and bomb innocent people in the Middle East. They don't give a crap about people. What they care about is power, and they believe immigration is a great way to solidify their stranglehold on the Constitution and to destroy the United States. They believe that that, whether it's true or not, that's what they believe. That's why they're pro-immigration. And I'll say again, if it was a bunch of libertarians, if it was a bunch of evangelicals immigrating to the U.S., they would be, Pelosi would be, AOC would be, we need a border wall, we need a wall, no immigration, blah, blah, blah. The whole, it would be completely different. It would be night and day. And they would be making all these arguments based on SJW ideology of why we can't have immigrants. The, the, poor minorities here and the black people have this problem and there's going to undercut that. It's going to hurt this community. They would say anything to stop immigration if they believed immigration would halt the progress of their political agenda. That's all this is about. This has nothing to do with kids in cages or anything else. And David French is just a tool. He's just a tool. He's a pragmatist tool who's trying to be popular. That's what he's trying to do. It's a, it's a, he's a loser. He's a loser who's trying to be popular. He has no principles. He can't think for himself. He looks at some graphs about what's cool and like, what article can I write that'll get me invited to the next cocktail party as soon as we're allowed to go outside? That's <laughs> what he's doing. That's the impression I got. Absolutely. Anyway, he's like, uh, I'll be your token white evangelical who hates Trump and, and puts yeah. other white evangelicals down. I don't know. <laughs> sure. That's what he is. Uh, yeah. Well... Thanks for indulging me. I had some issues with that. I was reading it like, ah, I'm, who are you? But uh, I appreciate you giving me your You know feedback. who he is. <laughs> That's who he is. All right. Let's do some super chats. Okay. Um, Mrs. James Claude. B. gives a super chat, gives us two pounds uh, for a French laundry fund. 
Carrie, when when uh, the pandemic, when we're allowed to travel, next time you come out here, which you've never come out here, so I'm going to make you come out. I've never come out there, though. So when we get together, maybe we'll do a French laundry trip, although that's uh, a lot of money. I out there when I saw money. my friend, and, and we had, you and I had dinner, remember? That was before Unsafe Space, though. I know. <laughs> We've <laughs> never been in the same room except in Milwaukee, I guess, yeah. so for Milwaukee, since Unsafe hey, Space started. Miss Claus has to take a short break. I'll be back. All right, Miss Claus. I'm going to do some super chats. You let me know when you're back. All right, Sandykins. Hey, Sandykins, by the way, is uh, the knitter of this lovely hat that I am wearing. Sandykins uh, says, Merry Christmas to my favorite knitting show. <laughs> and freedom. I'm channeling my inner little ragamuffin. I don't see a little ragamuffin around, so you can be, you can channel little ragamuffin for us. Thank you, Sandykins. Uh, all right. Let's scroll. I think there's a gap here. I got to scroll through. Sorry about that. By the way, I started Die Hard the moment that this show started. And what's happening now? He uh, he just jumped off the roof. He just jumped off the roof. In case you're wondering. Uh, all right, Roger Haynes. <laughs> Roger Haynes says uh, a thumbs up. Gives us a thumbs up. Thank you, Roger. Uh, Mandy, our favorite Russian bot, Mandy, says, what are you guys going to do with your free $600 stimulus check? Gee, thank you, Congress. I hate the U.S. government with every fiber of my being. Well, that's why we know you're a Russian bot, because only uh, only seditious traitors and Russian bots hate the bureaucracy of the U.S. government. Um, hey, I don't know what I'm going to do with <laughs> I have Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> should buy ammo is what I should do. Uh, all right, let's scroll down. Here we go. Ah, Quisantaholic again sends us 10 bucks and says, I also just want to say that you guys have become my absolute fave channel this past year. You have helped me understand what is going on this cra- in this crazy world. Merry- keep up good work. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Quisantaholic. Uh, appreciate it. And here we go. Jay Curtis Miller. Jay Curtis Miller gives us 15 bucks and says your recent chat with Clifton Duncan really inspired me as a filmmaker to lend my voice to counterculture looking forward to fight the good fight with y'all in 2021 Merry Christmas and Happy Aww. New Year thank you Jay Curtis Miller uh, and that's awesome that makes me we so need more happy. filmmakers doing this kind of stuff yeah I want to jump in here and say yeah, please uh, that I've heard from a few people some really inspiring messages. There's a filmmaker, might be you, who sent me a short film to watch that they made. They said they were inspired by our channel. Uh, There's somebody who told me they're taking classes at Hillsdale College now because we talked about it. It's so inspiring. People working on things, making art, doing just, I, I can't tell you just how meaningful that is to hear and how inspiring it is for us to hear because. You know, I'm reading that email like, wow, I inspired you to take a class. I need to take a class. (laughs) (laughs) You inspired me now, see? Or like, I inspired you to make a film. We need to make a film too. You're now you're inspiring. (laughs) You know, uh, yeah, it is. It's this is how you fight the culture war. So, um, yeah, fight it. It's great. Yeah, it's very encouraging. 
Stephen Hopkins, how many SJWs does it take to change the light bulb? 13, but the light bulb only needs to be changed if it's white. <laughs> uh, I love yeah this. well they it's probably one person and then 12 to make sure that the light bulb changing committee is sufficiently diverse uh g g man g man gives us 10 bucks and says unfortunately recalling governor newsom isn't the same as overturning the last election because it would not undo the damage he's done true also what kind of cookies would you like me to put out this year hmm uh I think that's questions for me because I'm clearly the Santa here. Yeah. Um, what kind of cookies? What do you like? It's not an, It doesn't come right to your head? No, it doesn't. Uh, because I was trying to think of something like, you know, C4 cookies with some, you know, it's something useful. But no, maybe, I, maybe it should be actual cookies. Uh, I heard a story on NPR today about... Um, Nutella cookies or something that sounded really good. I don't know. I like Christmas cookies. I like normal stuff. What do you? What sweets do you eat at the holidays, Carrie? I'm gonna make these uh, these low sugar healthy cookies that are a version of Thin Mints. Oh, Thin Mints that, are awesome. So if they're yeah. anything like Thin Mints, that's good. Yeah. Uh, they ta- and they don't they don't taste awful. They're actually not as bad for you, and they don't taste awful, which is good. We usually make chocolate crackle cookies also. Um, and we used to do gingerbread stuff, but we don't really do gingerbread as much. I love gingerbread. All right. Derek. Derek Maggard says, I've been shifting some of my time off politics to learn some Japanese. Ah, very good. The world See? definitely seems more chill these last couple of weeks because of it. I good. love that. Good. Good for you. I used to know some Japanese, but uh, my brain can barely hold English. So as soon as I learn any other language or even start to all of the previous language just gets pushed out. Um, all right. Mr. Biggles. Mr. Biggles says, uh, when you define someone or a group, you can also define yourself. So why is there such weight around the target being defined and not the definer? feels like if this was balanced, wokeness would crumble. True. True. But uh, you're thinking that they need to be somehow consistent and it's an integrated philosophy. It's not. Again, we've said this before. They use words as tools to accomplish goals. They don't care about how those words refer to reality. Um, Keith the Hackguy, by the way, says white chocolate cookies for unsafe space. That's racist, Keith, and I'm offended. Nicole Pratt. Hey, wow, Nicole Pratt gives us 99.99. Um... Thank you, Nicole, for the generous gift. She says, Merry Christmas to my absolute favorite wrong thinkers. Nicole of the Mountain People, we adore you. Thanks for showing up. By the up. way, you should have your mug by now. Can she you does. text me? Okay. She needs to text me if she's not getting it because I'm nervous. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. Keith the Hat Guy. Keith the Hat Guy says, How many SJWs does it take? I love that we have a thing going now where people are making SJW jokes. How many SJWs does it take to change a light bulb? It depends on the Kelvin color temp and DNA of the old versus the new bulb. A 6,000 Kelvin LED replacing a 2700K incandescent must change himself without help. That, (laughs) I mean, I know what it all means, but still went over my head, buddy. Uh, Somebody there's to... there's something in there about genetics and race and color, but yeah. How many SJWs does it take to change a light bulb, Carter? 
I'm offended. 13. The one I've, yeah. oh. 13. One to change okay. the light bulb and 13 to be on the diversity council. Right. That was what we said before. We already said that one. Oh. I think I did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how many SGWs? Another one from Pirate Tomsky. How many SGWs does it take to change the light bulb? It can't change. It's racist and must repent. That's a great one also, Pirate Tomsky. See, Keith, I need the simple ones. <laughs> Complexity is the enemy of my sense of humor. I, I guess I'm too dumb. Okay. Uh Hermit Thrush. Hermit Thrush gives us five bucks and says, RE child separation policy. American citizens are routinely separated from kids by law enforcement. Domestic disturbance, DUI, hardly atypical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, including violation of a lot of laws that uh, shouldn't be laws. So there's plenty of initiation of force uh, on behalf of the state, which involves separating adults from their children. It's only a problem if it pulls the right heartstrings. So, all right. Are we, I think we're close to the end. We're almost, oh, here we go. Ooh, John Martin. John Martin gives us 50 bucks. Thank you, John Martin. Uh, another generous gift and says, the more I listen to you guys, the more I appreciate you. Don't forget to do more on your local site. We will. Uh, we, we have enough that we can actually like start a community now. We're not doing anything, but we just have to figure out what to do on it. But we are going to do we something more. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're, we've figured things out. We're going to do some extras and stuff there. Carrie may have figured stuff out. I have not figured a damn thing out. But yeah. I can add Carrie now. I couldn't add you to the locals page before because we didn't have any, we didn't have enough yeah. people. But now I think we can like make it an official thing and you can be in and do the okay. whole thing. And uh, Thank you for joining us there. We'll be yeah. doing something in, yeah. in the Never year. turn to me for social media presence. That's a Carrie thing. M. Tax Shark. Thank you, M. Tax Shark. Says, thanks for the immigration points, Carter. Progressives' tools don't have positions, only ways of increasing their control and authority. Yep. yep. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, Kent. Hi, Kent. Kent gives us uh, a super chat and says, no comments, just love from Alberta, Canada. Very oh, happy about your growth and success. Thanks for the... Uh, Canada Telegram. Merry Christmas, wrong thinkers. Kent's Yay! been around for a while. Uh, Kent has been around for a while. Yeah, he's he's an OG. Uh, he's very kind. He also shows up sometimes in my my boyfriend's uh, uh, music streams. Oh really? Yeah. And yeah. when I want, like once a every couple months, I'll check Facebook, and usually there's messages from Kent about stuff I should have talked about three weeks ago. Um, so done. he's good. <laughs> he's he's helpful. I need to check it more. I guess. Jeanette, Jeanette, hello, lady, gives us another super chat and says, it's a bit off topic, but I would recommend a rewatch of Oliver Stone's JFK if you haven't recently. Watching it with 2020 eyes is astounding. Courtroom scene mm. is epic and makes me wish it were all declassified. Lady, you are singing my tune because this year I became very interested in the JFK assassination in a way I had, haven't been before. And I watched a documentary about it and read some things, but I have not rewatched that movie. And... I think you're I right. Think I, I've think I've I don't think oh, I've ever Carter. seen it. I don't think I've ever seen it. Let's watch it for Christmas. <laughs> is it a Christmas movie? <laughs> no. Like Die Hard? Which, no. by the way, is now over. The credits are running on Die Hard. I can't believe we lasted an entire movie. Uh, 2A Self-Defense Law says, Reading Cynical Theories, thank you for that mind screw. I don't want to learn how they think. Oh. <laughs> but yeah. if you learn how they think, you can, you can outthink them. You can outmaneuver them. 
He's using the word think generously, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I hope you can join us to a self-defense law on book club day, January uh-huh. 24th. Cartoon Woody. I've never seen you before. I love your name. Thank you for the super chat. Cartoon Woody says, is there a letter template I can give to my boss and HR for refusing diversity and inclusion training? Helen Pluckrose is still working on one. Wow. Uh, I don't know of one offhand, but I want to help you find one. If if I can't find one on James Lindsay's site, I have a feeling he's written something like this before. I feel like he has too, but if and Helen's he, working on one, then maybe he hasn't. Send me an email. I'm sorry I've been backed up on email, but I will look for yours today. Uh, send me an email at, you, you know, speak at unsafespace.com today. The Gay Rascal, thank you, sir, says, it's not enough to be not incandescent. You must be (laughs) anti-incandescent. That's going to be the new light bulb regulation moving forward. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but that bulb is just not incandescent. It needs to be (laughs) anti-incandescent. Funny joke. (laughs) How do you get anti-incandescence? Is there is burning dark matter a thing? Can you do some sort of cancellation of the incandescence in the a small black hole? I'm not sure. There's got to be another joke in there somewhere. Smarter people than us can figure it out. Yeah. Manny, Maldred, Manny, hello, sir. He was in book club yesterday. Gives us a big super chat. Thank you. Forty nine ninety nine says Merry Christmas. Like many have already said, finding unsafe space has been so helpful this very tough year. Very happy to be a part of the unsafe space family. Any additional question? Who? Oh, who's behind? Oh, an additional question. Who's behind the robot voice in the ending credits? Manny, here's an embarrassing confession. I don't know who that voice is either, and I've never asked. (laughs) 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 Well, first of all, thank you, Manny, for the super chat. And uh, now I will, I will forever now think of you as Manny from Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Uh, So you'll need to chop off one of your arms. But other than that, I think it's no no inconvenience for you. Um, yeah, no, uh, I, I love having Manny in, in book club. He's great, uh, always very insightful. Um, the credits, I do the credit, so I decide what sh- the, so the, the voice is GLaDOS from uh, Portal. If anyone's ever played Portal, GLaDOS is uh, an operating Hello. system computer who's kind of evil. So the voice is GLaDOS. There's a GLaDOS computer voice generator online. Um, it's not great. Sometimes you have to trick it by misspelling things and doing some stuff, but, uh, you can type stuff in and GLaDOS will say it. So basically I just come up with things that she says every time I do the credits and type them in and then download it and stick it into Final Cut. And that's how, that's how GLaDOS speaks. So I've never played Portals. That must be why I never, I never got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's why, that's why she says there'll be cake at the end which you wouldn't get either because you never uh, played Portal. So it's okay. okay. <laughs> we can correct that. Uh, we can correct that. In fact, the new computer that I'm getting for Unsafe Space is a PC, not a Mac. So it can be a game. It, it can install games. So I could install Portal. Buddy, you need to keep your work and games separate. <laughs> I know. It's against <laughs> company policy. Carrie's very strict on company policy and procedures. So. I <laughs> Pirate Tomsky. Uh, well, it's only, you know, it's funny. Oh, no, this is a story for another time. Okay. Pirate Tomsky, thank you, sir, says, Merry Christmas to you all, Unsafe Space. Have a good break, y'all. Pirate Tomsky, thank you for all of your comments and everything this year and for the hat that I still haven't received. 
but Carter is sending it's to me. It's in a box now with a whole bunch of other stuff getting okay. ready to ship out. Yeah, yeah. I cannot wait to get it, and we're going to wear matching hats one day. I promise. Yes. Hermit Thrush says, how many... <laughs> this is great. Thank you, sir. He says, how many SJWs does it take to screw a light bulb? Well, that depends. How triggering was the light bulb's tweet? <laughs> <laughs> I like this. Yeah, it's a good, it's somebody, a good game. Look, somebody has to come up with... My brain was trying to work this out while I was uh, uh, talking and reading things with Carter, but I can't do both at once. Somebody needs to figure out a joke where the answer is five... Because where the answer would normally be four, but but make the answer five and say because two plus two equals five. Oh, I see. Mm. Like something that requires four people. So how many SJWs does it screw, take to screw in a light bulb? Math is a white supremacist construct. So well, that stop that asking. itself is a joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, Ed, oh, Jordy Buckner, excellent super chat. Make Carrie play Portal. I, uh, if, if I could make Carrie do anything, I would absolutely make her play Portal. Uh, okay, we'll do this. So. We'll do Portal. Uh, um. And then, oh, C. Jones, I hope mine is in there, Carrie. Oh, yeah, me too. He sent something, too, like a little gift. Thank you. Oh, yes, everything that's come <laughs> to Carrie in the last couple of weeks is all in one big box. So. Rebecca P., thank you, Rebecca, says, how many SJWs to change a light bulb? <laughs> None would dare try. Confidence is a sign of white supremacy. <laughs> that also, is Merry true. Christmas. <laughs> maybe also, white bulbs are supply. Maybe awesome. white bulbs are white supremacists. Also, it could yeah. be. Um, How many electricity? SJWs? All of it. This is not a uh, super chat, but Silver Kangaroo says, "How many SJWs does it take to play bridge?" Five, because two plus two equals four. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for giving me the setup for the punchline. Done. <laughs> <sighs> Done. Well, um, I have okay. a couple things I just want to quickly mention, and, I, and there's one other thing I want to kind of talk about. I don't. We I, it's we can end the show soon. It's time, right? And yeah, and we'll gotta, be back on Wednesday. So. I got to prep for. We're gonna. Yeah. Yeah, but a couple things I want to run through. One, um, if you haven't seen Christopher Rufo's uh latest on seattle public schools and their indoctrination stuff check that out um two is uh it turns out the fbi has is going through files from seth rich's laptop so if you're interested in that story go check that out look that up um and i want to say this about covid you've heard i'm sure everyone's heard about this new strain in the uk this is what's going to happen so They will come, there will be more viruses, more strains. Now that they see that they can do this, there will be more excuses to do this. And the only thing that's going to stop them is how much they can get away with. There's not principles involved here. So they are going to see how much more authoritarianism they can get away with. So we'll have a reprieve at some point, probably like we've said in the past, they'll give Biden credit for solving something miraculously uh, that he didn't do. And then we will see more of this kind of behavior in the coming years from from the government probably move to the federal level for mandate stuff at some point as soon as someone's in charge who doesn't give a crap about the constitutionality of that and they will use these excuses like a new strain or some other kind of thing or it's like covid there will be plenty because there's always stuff 
going on. There's always diseases being released. It's you know, there's lots of travel. There's seven billion people in the world. There's going to be other stuff. So uh, just pay attention for that because that's going to happen. Um, and the last thing I want to do is answer a question from Judge Lot. And then if you've got anything, uh, Carrie, great. Um, Judge Lots asked this, and I just want to clarify, because, again, we have a lot of n new people, and I'm often very vague about what uh, my political stance is. Dave Smith uses liberty. He says, Dave Smith, comedian, <clears throat> if you guys uh, don't know, and I think he's in ANCAP. I think he's an anarcho-capitalist. Dave Smith uses libertarian as an umbrella term to include minarchists, ANCAPs, volunteerists, objectivists, capitalists, free marketers, etc. So by his use of the word Mark Pellegrino, Ron Paul, Ayn Rand, and yourself would all be libertarians. Michael Malice specifically uses anarchist to describe himself, but never ANCAP. He also pointedly says he is not a libertarian. But Dave Smith refers to himself as a libertarian all the time. Tom Woods also calls himself a libertarian with regularity. Can you shed some light on this? Also, both Michael Malice and Dave Smith have a high appreciation for Ayn Rand, but plainly state they're not objectivists. Do you consider yourself an objectivist? I don't... Well, this doesn't have to be a long answer, but I'm going to give you at least a short answer. The basic problem is libertarianism doesn't mean anything. Um, so the reason that you have objectivist types saying, and Michael Malice saying, I'm not a libertarian, is because they view libertarianism as kind of how Mark Pellegrino did, placing liberty as some sacred high value without the, the reasons behind it, without why liberty is a value um, to people and how it's derived and where it comes from ethically. Uh, people like Mark will say that failure of libertarianism as a doctrine, because libertarianism is not a philosophy, it's just a political doctrine, uh, that failure, the failure for them to recognize where rights come from, that failure makes libertarianism bad because ultimately uh, it's not competent enough to push things in the right direction ultimately will fall in on itself because it's based on a bad principle so therefore they explicitly say they're not libertarian um i think the difference between ancaps and voluntarists by the way and free marketers like some of these don't like people don't even know what they mean um so i think that's part of the problem um and the last thing i just want to answer is, is objectivism stuff I was an objectivist. I do not consider myself an objectivist. And the reason I don't consider myself an objectivist is because uh, one of the things that I think Rand contributed most uh, to my thinking is the idea that I'm responsible for my own judgment and reason should be my standard. And objectivists, people who call themselves objectivists, tend to canonize Rand's beliefs like she's dead. So she can't add to her thought process at all. She's dead. So they tend to canonize what she said and adhere to it um, without regard for whether new evidence should take them in a direction that is different from what she said. And I don't think Rand would be an objectivist if, in that sense either. She wouldn't be an objectivist if she had to stick with the beliefs that she had when she died in 1982 and it's 2020. She believed things like the tabula rasa uh, psychological state without understanding that like actually genetics play a role in psychological uh, configuration of our brains like those were mistakes that were maybe honest at the time because no one knew but there's definitely mistakes um, and there's there's definitely errors that I don't I'm not saying they're evil errors they're just <clears throat> errors of omission or errors of ignorance like 
that can't be rectified if you canonize Rand's work and say you can't ever contradict it at all. Um, things develop, and, and a, a, if you got anything out of Rand, I, in, from my perspective, the only people who get anything out of Rand are people who are willing to say my judgment matters, not what objectivism means by definition, because that's the point. The point is that it's your judgment based on your based on reason, your job. That's the point of it. So that's the answer. Okay. I know Carrie didn't care too much about that, but I wanted to answer I, the question because I think a lot of people had. Questions. I know some people care. I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> sorry. I, it's just been more than two hours and I can't. Yeah, no, I know. I just, I wanted to get through it because I felt like a lot of people asking that question, it's the end of the year, it's a good time to just like set that record straight. So yeah, I call myself a voluntarist. I don't view a difference between ANCAP and voluntarist, but I actually don't care uh, because I think like fundamentally, uh, this is going to break a bunch of people's brains. I don't believe politics belongs solely in the field of philosophy. I think it's an error to be included only in the field of philosophy, just like aesthetics. And uh, therefore, there's a whole bunch of stuff, there's a whole bunch of can of worms you open when you start asking about political systems. And so what I care about is moving towards what's ethically correct, which is individual rights, which is why I'm buddy buddies with people who call themselves minarchists and, and, and even people who, think, who say they're on the right but are trying to move in the direction of individual rights. Like, that's the direction we need to move. Um, and so my argument is an ethical argument and a, it's a moral argument. It's not a this political system is correct argument. Ultimately, I believe that voluntarism is where we will end up. But that doesn't mean I cast aside anyone who disagrees and say, I'm not in your team, blah, 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 blah. Because it's, again, it's not just a philosophical conversation, which we can have that conversation another day. Okay. Whew, sorry. Now we have some more super chats, and then okay, but I have to go, Carter. Oh, you have Thank to go. I have to go. Yes. Thank you guys ah. for the super chats. I'm okay, gonna take okay. off. Uh, I appreciate it. We will see you live on Wednesday. Yes, live on Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific. For a holiday party. Just gonna hang out uh, and uh, yeah, have a merry Christmas. If we don't talk to you between now and then, have a have great a Christmas, Christmas, everyone. But you guys year. should come on Wednesday. It's going to yeah, be you should come on Wednesday. not that great. awesome. Yeah. I mean, that which means awesome. I know, I know. All right. It'll be the best thing ever. Okay. Uh, well, I'll be really quick because Carrie's gone and it is time to wrap up. Uh, Tracer Bullet gives us 25 bucks. Thank you, Tracer Bullet. And says, Merry Christmas, Carrie and Carter. Found your show after Carrie appeared on Friday Night Tights. Been binging your shows for the last few weeks. When will Carter be on Friday Night Tights? Keep, people keep asking me when I'm going to go on other shows. I'm happy to go on other shows. I don't care. Uh, sure, I'll go on another show if someone wants me to go on another show. Uh, I just don't, I don't really look for it. Um, and the reason is, let's be honest, I, I'm not the cool one. So <laughs> Carrie does a way better job going out and pulling people into unsafe space than I would. But I'm happy to go on any show. Uh, Chris Patterson, I'm absolutely terrified of what our country will devolve into over the next four years. I don't feel like I live in the United States anymore. That's a sour note to end on, Chris, but I, I get where you're coming from. Um, and uh, if it's any consolation, I don't think there's like a massive step function change from like we're the United States one day and we're not the next day. We're, we don't go to communism overnight. Uh, it's just been a slippery slope. It's been a long, it's been a slide into uh, 
Marxism for decades and decades and a hundred over a hundred years more. Um, I mean, look at some of the things Andrew Jackson did. I mean, there's we've been a country on decline for quite some time with respect to individual individual rights. So I think it's probably just incrementally worse. Um, but the good news is, the more honest these. SJWs are, the more honest the left is, the more their mask slips, the more they admit the essence of their belief system, the more it horrifies Americans. So, um, and then there are a lot of people who are horrified horrified by it. There are a lot of people like you who don't want to go that direction. And so uh, I believe that while I don't, I'm not sure that the whole country's savable, I definitely believe a large percentage of the country can be saved. Um, and how that will look, I don't know, but you're not the only one. You're not the only one, so you may not have a country right now, but you've got people, you've got a community, and uh, I think it's inevitable that at some point that community will have the freedom and, and ability to organize somewhere. Uh, it might not be easy, but it'll happen. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Have a great uh, holiday. As a reminder, we will be back on Wednesday at four Pacific for kind of a casual unsafe space holiday party episode thing. Um, thank you so much for the super chats and donations. We really appreciate it. Anyone who wants to support the show can go to unsafespace.com slash donate. Um, and we will see you. Uh, see you later. Take care. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Any association with these individuals will result in placement on the naughty list and a lump of coal. Here's a fun fact, failing to leave cookies for Santa Claus is now considered a form of fat shaming. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Did you know that distributing presents using a magical sled is unlawful without a valid license and may be subject to taxation? Computer voice, Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.